please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. We've been muted for like a minute and a half now. I that's my fault. Leave it in. Yeah. So, um, no big deal. It, we're doing our first live stream broadcast thing, and that's a big part of this. Um, I'll clip it before we before we uh, put up the the audio podcast. But basically, um, this is the first time we've done a live broadcast. We're gonna be monitoring chat and stuff, and there's gonna be some technical glitches. We know that we gotta make a move so that we have this as an opportunity for us to branch out and get some audience participation in the podcast. Um, obviously, it can't always be Jim and I being talking heads and total idiots. So um, if you yeah. if you do notice anything technical going Go on and you're watching, like for example, you know somebody's quiet or whatever let me know and i can make adjustments on the fly for that um, join in on the nsc that's what i say <laughs> yeah so and the other thing is if somebody if somebody's watching us live they can always they can always go back and like watch the earlier part of the episode and then catch up um so you know it's just a different way of approaching how we how we consume content i guess um i've been doing live streaming on twitch for a while so this is i'm no stranger to this uh, but I just gotta, I need to get a couple more buttons on my stream deck for muting and that kind of stuff. So, um, that all said, uh, it is Memorial Day. Everybody should be having a great day today. Um, maybe you're watching us while you're out grilling or whatever. Uh, you know, that, that thing. And if not, then you're probably listening to us just after Memorial Day. And hopefully you got some good sales. Uh, there's some stuff going on this weekend, but, uh, you know, of course we're still in the middle of a massive recession and, um, and there's... Not much deals to be had right now in general. No, I noticed that. I noticed that. So uh, I did get some st some new stuff this week. Um, I got a couple of capacitors to put in my... Um, so I, I finished my... Pe oh, the pedal's sitting here. So I finished this guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. And um, it has a cap where the leg is separated on the inside of the cap. So when I'm pushing on it i can i can get it to work right so i know i got to replace that and i needed to put a, a new uh led in it because one of the led legs broke while i was assembling it um so once that's done it'll be all good to go and and Your so first far pedal. uh what's well, not my first pedal but um it so far it holds up because when i turned it on i go that's a king of tone circuit like i was like right, yeah that's right. definitely very similar to what i already have what i already rely on so um mm -hmm. i was quite excited when i pushed the button and it came on and i was like that sounds correct um even if it was direct into my daw with no speaker emulation or anything like that i sort of knew like this is what this is supposed to sound like um and then i yesterday i went and i got a dunlop what the hell they call these things the volume x mini which looks like oh yeah yeah that that's a good little pedal yep. yeah so i might it, add that to my kemper it's supposed to be a volume pedal but you can use the auxiliary out and there's dip switches on the inside, so you can set it so yep. that um, you can use it as an expression pedal, which is exactly what I'm right. doing with the... Um, I want it for. I've got it plugged into my uh, vibe machine. Yep. Um, 
Now, I'm going to share a little bit about this whole escapade because I got because I got this and I was thinking I'm going to get two or three of these and put them on the board because I can line them up and I can control the three different things to have expression output on my board. Um, right. And there were reasons like why that made sense to me. Uh, I want to be able to do pre two, two presets with the, Mer the Maris Mercury 7. And then I was going to have a third one for volume control on the amp one used in the loop, right. not for my delay llama. Now, this is where things get complicated because I was thinking, oh, well, this should work no problem. But then I got to thinking about it and I was like, well, wait a minute. If I, I, I actually plugged this one into the, to the Maris and I set up a preset and I went, wait a minute, wait a minute. It, it's supposed to be able to, to do like the, the, the warping thing like the, the Kemper does. And it does, mm -hmm. but you can't use both modes. So it's got a, it's got a, um, that particular reverb pedal has a plate mode and it has a cathedral mode, which is more like your churchy reverb. Um, and you have the, the ability to morph between two settings of the plate mode or two settings of the cathedral mode, but not plate and cathedral. And I'm like, well, hell I'm, I was just going to use it as a preset anyway. So for me, I'm like, right. this doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I get the manual out and I start digging through and I go, how do I get simple preset control? They have a four-button foot switch that's proprietary from Maris that you can use. They ha or you have MIDI. And, oh. and so that means you have to use a MIDI controller, basically. Because, no, uh, look, you might buy the four-button switch foot switch from Maris, but here's the issue. If you need four presets, like, it's a big use of space on your board for a simple reverb pedal with yeah. two per with two styles of reverb on it. Like, I could see that for, like, a big sky, but this is kind of not... I would rather just have, an express, like, an expression pedal um, input that also does a two-button foot switch and yep. MIDI, right? Those those three functions would be the best way to do it. Um, so get this. It only has 16 presets. <laughs> so it's like, what in... What were they thinking? I mean, you, you got a MIDI, you got a MIDI device where you're basically going to be using MIDI, and you didn't put 128 because there's 128 program changes in a in a bank, so right, you didn't right. put a bank in it. Like you didn't even put a full 128 presets in it, which is kind of bonkers to me. Um, yeah. In this day and age, with the cheap, you know, with memory being as cheap it is and all that, so I'm like, all right, whatever. Uh, I'm gonna I, I put the um, MC6 back on my board, which allowed me to do away with the need for two volume pedals because I can use the MC6 to toggle um, presets on the amp one, and I have one preset right. that's just set slightly louder than preset. So I have three presets. I have clean, dirty, and then lead, and then dirty and lead are actually the same sound with just the uh, second master volume turned down on, on the first two um, channels. So once right. I have that all set up, then it's, you know, then I'm off the races, but um, that means I have to add more stuff to my board. I mean, I have to put, I have to run MIDI cables underneath. Um, yep. But, you know, I don't necessarily mind that so much. And I don't really plan on having like a bunch of MIDI presets, just literally like this one preset that controls this and basically nothing else. Um, at right. some point I would like to, to also control my uh, Beat Buddy and Looper off that same uh, the MIDI MIDI foot switch, but I, I don't think that's going to happen right now. If I actually, 
the the long term plan um, is probably to go up. I'm on a Voodoo Lab medium right now. It's probably to go up to a Voodoo Lab large, just so I can have. I'm gonna get the MC8. I'm gonna get the big guy, and then I will have uh, the switcher probably mounted underneath the board, which which means I'll have to raise the board probably two inches or an inch and a half, the whole board. Right. So I have to put new feet on it and, and spacers, but then I'll I'll raise the board like an inch, inch and a half, and I'll put my switcher underneath, and because it's all MIDI programmable anyway. Uh, and once I get that all set up, then I'll just, you know, hit presets to turn pedals on and off in the thing like I was doing originally, but this time I won't, I won't, I'm not going to probably end up going overboard with it. It's more or less just so I can have the three sounds that I use plugged in and then I'll, I'll have, still have the King of Tone always on and, you know, my drive right, pedals right. always on. It, it'll, I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to use it yet, but that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking is like, well, then I can sort of vary things a little bit more, um, and use that MIDI controller. I can use a MIDI out on there because it'll have four potential MIDI out jacks um, that I can use to run to something else and control it off the same foot controller. Because that's actually what I'm thinking is like this board will be really versatile then. Even if I don't end up doing the um, the ML5 switcher on there, it will it will allow me to control external devices such as, you know, in this case, it'll be the, the looper setup I have with one MIDI cable yep. instead of having two completely separate MIDI rigs that don't talk to each other, um, which is kind of what's going on right now. So right. Um, another thing, I had a rehearsal yesterday and floated the idea because we don't have a drummer. I was like, you know, I got all these drum tracks we created in, in Cubase, and I said, I have the RC600. Right. I said, we could conceivably, until we get a drummer, play to the tracks and... Yeah. I was like, it'll be cheaper than hiring somebody for every gig. Cause we were talking about hiring somebody, paying them for two rehearsals or three rehearsals. And then. Right. And then bring them in. Yeah. Well yeah. then I'm like, but then you have to hire rehearsal space. And like, that becomes a very ex expensive proposition to have a hired gun drummer. Um, yeah. you, could, you could be spending, you know, 600 bucks just to get them, just to get them to where they can play with you. And then you have to cut them in on the gigs too, at a certain rate, which is probably going to be more than what you're taking out. Yep. Um, which that's, that's a challenge. So, um, I don't think we're actually going to be approaching it from that perspective. I think we're going to try to use the looper. I think the looper makes more sense for what we're trying to achieve. So I see that we have two watchers in chat. Uh, no questions. So, yep. uh, did you have any other general news? I know you were talking about, and well, by the way, we are on general news. I had, I had the wrong led lit up. Um, okay. did you have anything? Cause I know you were talking about something pre-show. Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it seems that the person who bought the third uh, prototype for Randy Rhodes' um, Flying V from Jackson um, is selling it. And mm -hmm. he is, um, you know, I never heard of him. I'm not saying that he's not good or anything like that. I've, never, I've just never heard of him. Right. And uh, so he's selling it. And the provenance of the guitar is that it was built for Randy Rhodes by Jackson back when Jackson was only building one-offs, right? Yeah, Grover um, Jackson, not just the company. Right, not just the company. Not just the company, Jackson, the actual Grover Jackson, right. So it does have that providence in it. And um, and it, uh, it it was intended for Randy Rhodes, who, who um, sadly passed before they had a chance to give it to him to, to even look at, much less try to play it. And um, it wound up being a NAMM show piece. 
and someone accidentally sold it. And they sold it to a dealer that sold it to this guy who right. has had it ever since. So he is the one owner. So he's got that. So he's got one owner. I'm giving the real Providence. He's got one owner. It was built by the real um, Grover Jackson for Randy Rhodes. Sold accidentally <clears throat> and put out there in a the market. Okay. And Grover Jackson tried to buy it back. Mm -hmm. Allegedly. That, that, this is this guy's words. Grover Jackson tried to buy it back. Um, the guy wanted to keep it. He was a big Randy Rhodes fan. Played it for what? 40 years? 30-something years? Okay. So now it's going to go. Yeah, it's got to be. Oh, my God. Yeah, 40 years. So um, now it's going up on the chopping block. And I understand all those things. But a $250,000 price tag, I don't get. Because I do get everything else. And I can see it being a high-end RR3. Because that's what it is. But a $250,000 RR3, I don't know. I, I just don't, I, I don't see that. Do you see that as a, as a uh, likely sales number? And I'm not talking about for you. I mean, obviously for me, if it was, was $2,500, I wouldn't want it. But that's because it's me, and that's not my thing. I, I don't like those little mini Vs. They just, they don't feel comfortable. It seems but, to me that... Other prototype guitars or more prominent designs have sold for less money. Right. Um, it seems to me that this price is inflated. Right. But I know that there is a legion of people where the Randy Rhodes V, which is, you know, it's a fairly, it's an offset V, right? It's not really right, actually right. all that much smaller. It's, it's just offset. Um, yeah, yeah. Where a Randy Rhodes V, like, I could see somebody being like, I want the prototype because that was supposed to go to Randy and it never went to him. Right. Um, I can also see somebody being, like, deeply invested in that design and being like, I want to be the guy that has the one that's the, the one prototype that's floating around. Because I don't think the other two, uh, I think the other two still exist, but they're not, they're like in, in, Grover Jackson's right. private collection or something. Correct. Yeah, um, right. They may even be owned by Fender at this point. Uh, cause because Jackson itself is owned by Fender now. Which is right. pretty wild when you consider that Jackson and Charvel ended up being owned by Fender. Um, both both of the companies sort of responsible for the guitars of the eighties along with Kramer, and two of them ended up in Fender's portfolio. Um so I I always thought that was kind of a weird weird situation over there anyway but i actually like the look of the jackson specifically the pinstripe one the white with the green right. like it's like a green pinstripe um yep. but it's just not a guitar that really fits the aesthetic that of of what i'm trying to do most of the time so it's not a guitar that i will wind up purchasing at any point in my life but i i, I played a couple of them um mm -hmm. and they're okay i mean yeah this one doesn't have the pinstripe um it's a white with uh, gold or brass uh, hardware, mm -hmm. um, and it's got the shape. It's got the elongated top bout there that goes way back. Um, kind of explorer meets a, a V, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, don't get me wrong. Like I said, it's not it's not a bad aesthetic. It's just like I I wouldn't be I'd be the wrong person to call if somebody said, hey, we've got this uh, dime bag Daryl. 
you know, right, one, right. I, I respect everything Dimebag Daryl ever did, but that guitar wouldn't be something that personally I would play if it was, you know, now having Dimebag's own guitar might be cool, but to have one that was built, I, I just, I, maybe it's a museum piece. Maybe that's the objective. That's, well, that's of, what I was going to say. Like, this is t- clearly one of those things where it's got a historical value attached to it. Um, right. I just question whether this is more valuable than, say, like a prototype Strat. Right, right. Which which those have surfaced before, and those do go for decent amounts of money, but I don't, they're not touching stratospheric prices like $200,000. I mean. Right. Um, and, and staying in the same kind of vein. So um, uh, one of, one of the guitar players that does um, one of these instructional channels, I can't remember which one, but his name is John McElaney. McElaney. He's really good. He's re- I mean, when I say really good, I mean, top tier, right? Um, played with Robin Ford. He's, he's the kind of guy that, you know, I, I can't carry Robin Ford's guitar case. He would say, no, you're too untalented. I could Go play at. Robin Ford's chords because I took his chord <laughs> course, but I don't know that yeah, I necessarily could play any of his leads. In fact, I was I was learning to play Talk to Your Daughter, and I was uh, like, uh, I got through like the first lick or two, and I was like, no, nah, I can't even. It's not that I couldn't learn it. I was just like, this is too much effort. <laughs> like, we're right. not going to do this today. <laughs> so, so John is talking about, he bought a 64 Strat, which I, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, because that's my birth year, right? That I don't know if John McElhaney, he looks like he might be a 64 guy, but he might actually be younger than me. Uh, but uh, anyway, he um, he bought a 64 Strat, which for most people, and I think that was the reason McElhaney went with it, is that's that transition year. That's the CBS, pre-CBS yeah. year. And um, I've been looking at 64 Strats for that reason. But what shied me away from them, and that's even back when they were eight grand. Now they're like a cheap one is nineteen thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Well, Reverb says they are anyway. <laughs> yeah. And I could probably get into one for twelve to sixteen, I'm sure. But probably. Um. Yeah. It, it, there was an Olympic white one. I was like, mm, I could put a mortgage. In it. But anyway, so um, <laughs> literally, I was thinking that. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I, you know, Jim, if you, buy, if you like, buy a vintage guitar over $10,000, I'm personally going to show up your house and kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, what and the hell are you doing? <laughs> inner me was sitting there kicking my ass. Yeah. It's like, what the hell are you thinking? I could buy, like, I could buy a 64 Strat if I sold everything else. <laughs> right. And that's what I was thinking. But then, but then I would have a guitar I didn't really like. And and it would be so expensive. I'd be afraid of everything. I have, well, that's the I thing. Like, I wouldn't even want to take it out and, and play it at a show because it's like there's too much risk of me knocking it off a stand and having some catastrophic repair that that then right. causes me to lose seven thousand dollars worth of that tool's value. Yeah, and I, and that, I phrase that way for that way for a reason. Yeah, and that's what I'm. I you know I'm sitting there thinking, if I buy that guitar, it is for me. It's not for my kids. It's not for my future. But see, McElhaney, Mac, I, I don't yeah. know how to say it correctly. Anyway, John was saying that, you know, it's it's this piece and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, of course, he's got an inside track to people that would sell him because he's got Robin Ford's folks um, who would sell him a, a decent guitar for decent money and so on and so forth and everything else and blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. I get it. He probably was into it for, I don't know, it, it's really, really good shape but he did a lot of work to it it mm-hmm. had 
you know, rusty strings and everything else, and he saw potential in it, and he changed it. But I heard him playing it, and I'm like, you know, I, and I even hooked it up to my studio monitors that I've got here, and I thought, man, I've, there's a guy down that I go to open mic with who gets that kind of sound through a, through a katana from an Olympic white 2008 standard American Strat. And I'm like, I just, I don't hear it. I mean, maybe in the room and maybe in the right circumstance and all the other stuff, but I get it. I get what he's doing. But I, I get to that. He spent 27, 30 minutes. He doesn't usually make these long videos. He spent right. all this time. And I'm wondering if he was trying to convince the listener or himself that he spent the money wisely. That's what I was getting, I was trying to get at, is this video, and I see these videos all the time. You know, I bought this, but it, it's got this thing, but you know, it, it's just like I've done, you you know, cause I've been there, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm that guy, right? Yeah. I, got a, I got a Les Paul custom that it's like, you know, you gotta say, well, there's a reason I spent that kind of money on a guitar or, um, you know, the second um, uh, gold top that I got. It, there's a reason you've got it. And so you try to convince yourself. And so you say all these things out loud to convince yourself. And I don't know if we have to convince ourselves that we spent our money wisely. Don't, you know what I mean? Is that coming across as a question? Yeah, we shouldn't be because, because so, so no, it, it is coming across. Um, my whole thing is, and this is just the way I perceive it, right? Like it's not necessarily the, 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 um, model of the universe or anything like that but right. um you can take any mid-level guitar i don't care what it is mid-level we, we we've always talked about on the show obviously it's gone up about 20 percent. it's probably 750 to 1500 at this point um right. if you take a 750 to 1500 guitar and you can make it sound good that's because you can play well okay right um and realistically like you can take maybe even lesser guitars than that and make them sound good by just playing well. And I think a right. lot of people put more emphasis on buying in gear than they do like actually learning how to I, properly fret notes and things. So like I went on this whole tirade this week and this, this fits in general news. I were working on this recording and I was doing a part that had, uh, had me doing some kind of funky picking and mm -hmm. I was like, uh, I was having trouble keeping it in time. Right. Um, so I kept, going back and forth and I did like 40 takes of it and I finally said I, I got pissed off I got one good take and I, I finally just got pissed off I said I gotta learn how to play rhythm like I gotta figure this out because because there's clearly something here that's that's missing and um so I start watching Tomo Fujita which if you've never oh, if you've never watched that guy I play but but it's so funny because if you watch like his instructional material especially the stuff he even just boats on YouTube like he breaks yeah. things down and they're super simple to get where he is, but it's just like, you got to do this a lot and this is what you're going to do. And once you realize like that, it's really just about the fundamentals. You start real, you start thinking about the other parts of it, right? Like how many other things were, was I trying to cheat because I didn't have the proper fundamental. And of course I'm, you know, I've been doing this 20 years and um, I can do some of the little bit fancier stuff and, my whole thought process in the last five years, which where's most of my achievement has been, um, is kind of like, I just buckled down and learned fundamentals. And I think so much of that gets obscured by people going, well, my guitar doesn't sound right. Or um, I don't have the right amplifier. If I was gonna buy a vintage piece, Jim, I'd buy a vintage amp. 
I wouldn't buy a vintage yeah, guitar. Yeah. I think same vintage, here. I think a vintage guitar is a terrible idea because in, yep. in terms of your sound, like that. I, when I pick up a guitar, I don't care what guitar it is. Yeah, the guitar does impart a big sonic fingerprint on what I do, but you're gonna hear me, and like they're gonna hear me more than you're gonna hear the guitar, um, because my because I'm gonna play the same patterns. I'm gonna use the same kinds of techniques. Uh, yeah, when yep. I play my PRS, I don't play it like my Strat, but I'm trying to achieve the same things. And and one of the things that I got from Tomo Fujito, he's he was talking about, um, how you practice and your practice environment. And he said, right. when you play, always play through an amp. And he yep. said, play through an amp where, um you can hear dynamic levels and he talked about like he even gave like if you're playing through a fender amp you want to set it up like this with more treble because then to get the sound that's in your head across you're going to back off on the pick and you're going to you're going to learn how to accent or how to take away that treble using your hands and your pick and he's absolutely right okay yeah and it's like one of those things where a lot of people don't get that fundamental because they don't play that way I agree. You know what's funny is so um, our our the guitarist that I play with in Fitch and Company, um, <clears throat> he brought this beautiful custom uh, Telecaster he just got mm -hmm. to the gig, and he's like, you know, I don't know if it's got the sound I want. You know, he hasn't decided what I'm going to. Yeah, it's a Telecaster, keep... right? Like it's totally different right. than his Les Paul. So right, right, and he, so he's got he's got at the gig he's got a Les Paul. Um, his uh, gold top uh, 50 something reissue yeah, right. um, his uh, Explorer <clears throat> uh, Koa reissue thing right. and of course his now his tally and, he, and I said so why'd you you know I, I looked at the back I go I don't see a, a bender and I know that's what he wanted and he goes yeah I haven't put a bender in yet and I go, he goes I don't know if I want to keep it I go I go, well, Bender's going to make a complete different guitar. I mean, that thing's going to change it. And, it's add talk weight. <laughs> and I said, you know what? You're never going to be able to do this guitar when you put a Bender in it. He goes, what's that? I go, sell it. Because that Bender is going to going to add value for person A, but it's going to detract value for almost everybody oh, I else. See, I see Bender guitars sell all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would be surprised yeah. if he couldn't sell it at that point. Well, and so he's the kind of guy he'll he'll go to Glazer to get it done. He won't go yeah, to right, like right. you know Bob's B Bender Emporium to get it done. Mm -hmm. So anyway, he, he, really good, really good player and really great um, guitar player. Um, so uh, and when I get to my gig report, I'll really get into uh, something that was said about us that I was like, wow, I can't believe that was said. But anyway, so. Um, he, we're talking about it. I go, yeah, if you're going to do it, get it done in Nashville, get it done by Glazer or, you know, whoever. And, um, I can't remember who the other guy was that I recommended, but I know it's one of the biggies. And, um, so anyway, we're on stage and we're playing and he, and <clears throat> we were talking about the pickups and he goes, yeah, I got this and this. He goes, you know what I realized? And I go, what's that? He goes, I'll buy a guitar and get it set up and, you know, do all this stuff. And because he just got some custom T-tops put into the guitar that, that I was talking about. And he goes, um, he goes, I want it to sound like the last guitar. I had. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I get it. And I and I do all this stuff to it to make it sound like a guitar. <laughs> so that's an interesting. And we laughed because I said, yeah, I always want all my guitars to sound like number one. And I go and I, and so I'm doing all this stuff 
to try to tweak everything no, else. Just play the number one, goddammit. Like And that's yeah, that's that's what I said. I said, when I could just pull that out of the case. That. That's what that's what kills me, right? So like I had to it took me a long time to get to the point where I'm like, no, I buy new guitars because I don't want them to sound the same. Right. Like, if I want if I wanted them to sound the same, I just play the other one. Unless I need, you yeah. know, of course, it's unless it's like incident of string breakage or something like that when you're on stage. But like for the most part, it's I don't I I why would I want two of the exact same sound? Um, right. And I I right. was actually like thrilled that the the Fishman <clears throat> single or the Fishman uh, bridge pickup is totally different than my PRS um, because it's like it's a different thing. Uh, right. It's it's quite a bit brighter actually. Uh, the PRS pickups are kind of dark. Like they're I, kind of, I they're, they're, they they have a lot of clarity and cut, yep. but they're dark and they're very midi. Um, to me, yeah, so same thing. Yeah, that's what I found. Um, so anyway, you know, I love. I've told you and I've shown you my Les Paul sound a little bit different. Obviously, there's a way I could get my gold top to sound exactly like yeah, um, the other one. Set the string height. <laughs> but you know yeah, what? I, I actually like the fact that they sound different. Yeah. Um. And uh, I'm just noticing in the camera, my 335, which gets a lot of playtime, by the way. Mm -hmm. My 335 is actually starting to look, you can see it looks worn, like I've been playing it. Um, yeah, so, it's, a little, it's a little faded and stuff, and it's probably yeah, just, you know, going out to outdoor gigs and all that. Yeah. Yeah, and I took the, um, so I took my white custom to its second outdoor gig. <clears throat> played that since I've owned it. I played it last year at an outdoor gig. I played it again this year at an outdoor gig. Um, and, uh, so it, you know, I'll talk more about that later. Um, but, uh, it was, um, it, it was a thing to me. I was like, that's why I keep messing myself up. Not, not, I, I don't want to talk to what other people feel, why they buy different guitars, but just like you, I buy a different guitar to sound different. And Every time I play that strat, I'm like, this is too different. And I'm like, no, that's why you're playing it, stupid. <laughs> that's why you have it's it, because it doesn't sound the same as your other guitar. Because it doesn't sound anything like the other ones. And stop thinking, like, you know, I have to make it. No, I, I, it wants to be that way, and it should be that way. And it really does sound like a great strat. And so it's me that has to modify the way I look at my playing and my sound, not the guitar needs to be modified or I need, oh no, I need to put this pedal in there. I need to change this setting. I need to, no, it, it is a different thing. You know, it's just like having harmony singers. Mm -hmm. If I had three of the same people, it would sound good, but it was also sound a little weird. And I'd want three different people doing three different harmonies. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. what's that? So uh, let's move on. I, the first, the first segment I actually wanted to talk about was uh, the Ampex Prenam launch. Uh, a couple of yep. things to cover here. This is going to be probably a shorter segment, but it's worth uh, it's worth having the conversation. So um, back in I think it was 2018 Winter Nam, uh, Thomas Blug started showing this thing off. Um, which if you can if you have your YouTube window up, you'll you'll be able to see over in that screen. Um, this is uh, the Ampex. And uh, what he was toting was like, I have a completely configurable amplifier that can be all these different amplifiers in one box. And it's all solid state with a, with a tube power amp or a tube in the power amp, a tube, a tube, um, I would call it tube buffered power amp. And then uh, it'll have digital effects that can be reconfigured to sound like 
any digital effect on the market. It'll have overdrives that are actual analog overdrives and boosts that are reconfigurable and can sound like any overdrive or boost that you can think of for, you know, for the most part, obviously you can't, there, there are certain things you're not going to be able to do. What's that? Um, you got that, that whammy like pedal, um, the, uh, the Bigsby, the Bigsby. What's the name of that, that company again? The company behind it. Game changer. Game changer audio. They have the plasma yep. with the, the plasma overdrive or whatever. That's like, I'm kind yeah, of you're not going to make that, a plasma way. overdrive in the amp X. That's not going to happen because there's yeah, no, no plasma coil in there. <laughs> um, but, uh it's you know it's configurable like that's that was the whole thing is like you know kemper does it digitally and they allow you to capture your rig as it is and then replay it and then they of course pointed out that like fractal has the same thing where they have these digital approximations of real pedals that people are using and of course you know of course line 60 has that as well um so the idea of having this um analog version of that uh, which is, you know, loud enough to be a real amp and do the things like a real amp does is a significant boon. So I'm going to show that, that picture again for a second. This is what was announced back in 2018. He actually had a little box that looked like this, and it wasn't really clear if it was working or not. And I don't know that he actually showed anybody it working, but apparently there was a working prototype behind the scenes that had, instead of digital control, it had analog control so they could turn knobs to make it sound like different things. And they have since breadboarded the shit out of it and actually made a working digital prototype. So you got analog components that are being linked up with like digital pots essentially and digital, you know, switching that allows them to do all these fancy things. Now he said he was going to launch this. And this part of the reason why I want to have this conversation. He said he was going to launch this at NAM, um, which is this coming week. Um, yep. But he did a live stream early and he showed it off. So he did show some audio clips too, and he showed the drive pedal emulation. And if you haven't watched this, his channel, there, there's a live stream thing. You can go watch the last one where he unveiled the amp, the amp X. Um, and I gotta say, I was floored because he had drive pedals in a loop master, like the gig rig loop master. And he had the amp one breadboard sitting next to it. And they would go over to the breadboard and do something. And then they would hit the switch and it would be identical. You, and he would he would like hit a chord, let it ring out, and like turn the thing on, and you would you wouldn't hear any difference. Um, so it would swap between the real pedal and the the amp one, and then he did it with a couple of different boosts, and there were some yep. other interesting pedals that are probably going to be part of a video demonstration later that were sitting on the table, like a Vertex, the Steel String Stinger, Singer, uh, their their SSS clone, uh, the pedal in a box, and I, I, so like if he's able to do that and literally take pretty much any overdrive circuit that you can buy off the shelf that's using conventional componentry. Like, that's a that's a shoe-in right there. I mean, uh, nobody can do that in the analog domain. And quite frankly, even like things like the um, HX Stomp and, and Helix, which have these loops that you can patch in your analog pedals, there's compromises. Um, I've shown people, you know, hey, th th there's issues with impedance matching in those situations and though they work, they're not perfect. Right. Right. Um, so just going back and forth about this, <clears throat> he unlaunched, he launched the new one. Now the, the new one is quite different. He has actually uh, made some modifications and we might go back and forth between these two sort of compare. Uh, that's the rear panel. We want to look at this. This is the front panel. That looks quite a bit different than this. 
Okay. That's a big change. More knobs, more settings. Uh, you can notice that the, the X controls uh, now have little displays to tell you what the controls do instead of being statically assigned. Um, there are MIDI learn buttons right on this unit. The, uh, the location of the tube has changed. Uh, that looks like a USB-C plug as opposed to a mini B. I think it's mini B. Um, and then he's got headphone, headphone port, and I believe that's an aux in on top of the unit. Um, cool. So that front panel flips down and actually covers all that stuff up so you don't even have to look at it during live performance, which I know people think that's like a gimmick, but honestly... That for me would be a big thing because I'm like, I don't want to have to mess with all the like, look at the damn amount of controls on this thing. I mean, it's panic inducing. Um, incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so that's what I'm turning to when I'm looking this way, guys. I'm looking. At yeah, he's got the, he's things. got YouTube up so you can see it. So look at the and, so look at the master fuck. look at the master next to the reverb. Right. So like the master used to be on the on the amp one. It was up above. Uh, it was a whole different like layout because it was connected, I believe, directly to the power amp, and it's clear that they're digitally switching it now. Um, if you look at the uh, controls, you'll notice this one also has a presence control. No kidding. Which the original yep. amp one did not. And they actually, he, he commented about that and said there was no more room for a presence control on the amp one board. So we would have had to expand the size. You'll also notice that foot switches, we have six now. Um, part, of the oh, change, yeah. part of the change between what he showed in 2019 and what he's showing now is that they have widened it okay so if you look wow. uh it's clearly wider and he did that because he wanted yep. to make sure that people had enough space to get their boot on there well now i have to get one of these <laughs> uh i'm literally i i am because you and i both had the amp one mm -hmm. okay and i gotta tell you i've been thinking about going back to the amp one this little guy might be the direction i go well we're gonna we're gonna talk about price and stuff at the end of this and and some of the little yeah. like hmm what the hell is this? Nuances. Yeah, because there's some stuff in here that I'm like, really? And and there was one thing he called out, and we'll see if we'll see if you can pick up on it when I show you the picture of the rear panel. So here's the rear panel, and this is quite a diff bit different than the amp one was. Um, you can see that there are there's an input jack, a control uh, like a controller jack, and then there's a, a send and return. These are all quarter inch, right? There's a line out jack, which looks like it's a stereo line out. If you see that that little uh, icon above it with the, the Venn diagram that's usually used to indicate stereo. So if you do TRS, you can probably split it out to dual mono. That's my guess. Um, and then there's a remote jack, which is interesting because we already have a control jack, right? So what's that? Um, I think that's also a MIDI in. I, the, uh, that's what it looks like. So you can take the, the MIDI one adapter and plug that in there and then the power uh the power amp thing is so it's, it's like there's a midi out right but what that midi out actually is it has uh two pins on it that deliver 500 milliamps of nine volt power okay now here's what here's why you'd want to do that because this guy you can't see him in the picture i i sent because it's covered up by the youtube thing at the bottom uh actually has wings they come out from the side of it. Their thumbs screwed together, and then you can stick a pedal on either end, or either or two pedals depending on the size, right? On either end, um, and that's going to give you the ability to add some of your own spice to the mix. Like if you need a, an envelope filter or something, um, 
and we'll talk about why that's why that's important. Then you have your main outs, which are left and right main out, and you have two speaker outs, still only 8 and 16 ohm. It is not stereo for power amp, which would have been nice, but I wonder if... I We'll wait and see, because I wouldn't be surprised if they 8 and 16, so if you plug two things into 8, that, it's, that, it, that it accepts a 4 ohm tap, basically, and gives you not true stereo out, but you can run two cabs off it. It wouldn't shock me. Um, cause that's one of the things that people have been begging for is like, how do I run two cabs with my amp one? Um, you would have to run 16 ohm, pair them together so you can get down to eight ohm, um, and then run it that way, you know, or you got to wire two 32 ohm cabinets, <laughs> which I don't know how the hell you would even do that, but, uh, I'm sure there's where there's a will, there's a way. Um, so did you notice the one guffaw here, Jim? No, because there's a major problem with this back panel. Give me a second. And he pointed it out because he admitted, he's like, yeah, it was a mistake on our part. We realized it after the fact. Uh, and apparently this is the prototype. So this is not like an right. artist rendering. It's going to be a legitimate problem with the design. Which uh -oh. is those main outs. Yeah, those are, uh, those are female. Oh, crap. So they're talking about various ways to fix that because they're combi jacks so they're quarter inch plug and then an xlr plug um which means that they have to use a, a female what they're probably going to do is bundle in uh Ship yeah an adapter adapter that that it'll probably it might even be a uh, like a length of cable that you can use to because most people are probably just going to use the quarter inch anyway the the xlr is a bonus so you either yeah. have to use a male-to-male -male xlr or you're gonna, or you're gonna use an adapter that goes that from, was from a big whoops. male to female. Yeah, it's kind of a mistake, uh, and he admitted it. He said, "Yeah, he's like, this is this is what happens when we're, you know, we're focusing on other features and we're not really, you know, thinking things through." But that's really the only way to do a combi jack. Yeah. If you think about it, like that's that's the only way they could get could have gotten away with oh, that. Yeah, because the only re actually the only uh, uh, it's kind of a even though it's a it's a oops on one side. It's an upside to the other because if you're going to go quarter inch, you don't care. Yeah. If you're going to go XLR, you care. But if he bundles an adapter, even if you he's go, giving you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, even if ahead. you go XLR, at least from my perspective, this is a this is a non-issue. But right. I, but I know some people will bitch that I have to buy an eight dollar adapter. You know that or if they, they have, they'll, they'll, I suspect they're going to just throw them in the box. If they're going to bundle them because because the, the price of this thing. That's 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 the one part that they haven't really they haven't uh, announced nailed down. Yet. No, no, no. I know what it's going to cost. They've already basically oh. said, but it's we don't know what the street price is going to wind up being on this guy. Oh, uh, two thousand dollars is the expected anticipated MSRP. Two thousand bucks. Now, do I think it's worth it? Um. I think that's going to largely depend on a couple of factors. Number one, the amp modeling is going to be worth it because because I've got the amp one and I'll be honest with you, I plugged in my film more the other day, hoping that I would be like, you know what, this amp one isn't all that great. And uh, I played with the film more. So this is this this is the scenario. I put the film more on top of my uh, my my cream back loaded cabinet, and I was like, man, this clean sound is so good. And then I went over to the amp one clean sound. I'm like, man, this is a really stiff clean sound. And then I started making adjustments. And once I started making adjustments and I realized that some of the, the sound I really liked out of the film was coming from the reverb, 
And when I added my reverb back into the amp one and started manipulating the tone controls to get what I wanted, I was like, holy crap, like these are super close. And then I did the I did the unthinkable and I took my Fillmore and plugged it into the cabinet for the amp one, which is that cream back loaded uh, Lone Star I have. And I was like, oh, my God, this speaker smokes. But then I thought to myself, I was like, wait a minute. That's what's really going on here is the speaker is is providing the the extra edge, you know, that, that I really enjoy from the from the Fillmore right in this moment. And I'm kind of like it's also enhancing the amp one. I'm going they're probably basically equivalent, at least for, I mean, they don't do the, the same thing, right? So it's the same argument right, as right. we were having before about guitars, but like, I preferred the amp one to my, now I think they're 18 or $1,900 Mesa Boogie Fillmore, Fillmore, which is just absolutely insane. And it's a, it's a 750 or $800 piece of kit. I mean, uh, and it weighs like two pounds and, you know, all the other benefits you get from it. You don't have to have like uh, another run of power cables and shit live. It's literally two cables um, to get to your amp. And uh, I honestly, like all the benefits, I, I, I can't see myself being anywhere else right now. Um, even, you know, I've had the Kemper. I've had I've had the Helix and like the Kemper was good. Uh it wasn't as good as my actual died in the wool tube amps. It was, it was, it was good, but because I wasn't using it to the fullest potential, like I was only really using a couple of models. Like it just didn't make a whole lot of sense for me to pay that, that entrance price. And this guy with his configuration options, it sounds like a good thing for two grand. However, there are more caveats than just those output jacks on the back. So, they talked about the signal the signal chain because it's not digital. You really can't just like move everything around inside it. Uh, it I mean, this thing is super sophisticated, but it's not an ES8 because it doesn't have uh, the, the internal mixer that an ES8 has, um, which that's what allows that thing to do what it does. It has a very, very complicated internal hardware processing thing that actually reroutes these signals in an analog domain using relays. Um, that's essentially the same as a 32-channel mixer. And they, they tell you that right in the manual. I mean, you can read about it. Um, so this is not that. What the, they, he did say that he'll you'll have the ability to place um, like all of your your effects blocks either before or post the amp, but it's not clear if you'll have the ability to put them between your drive pedals or uh, between your drive pedals and the amp, like where that stage is at. Uh, it was like, well, there's an insert point, okay. So that's why that 9-volt power is going to be so important for some folks because on this unit, if you want to run an Ottawa and you want to run it before everything else, you're going to need to put that out nine front volts. using that 9-volt power on what he calls the X-Wings. Um, so actually, ah, I, yeah. X-Wings. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, he I, I, Personally, to his credit, like the, the engineering processor – the idea of having a modeler that has just like inputs and outputs for for putting effects in it is like was like bonkers when when line six came up with that where they put the four the four loops and now it's like why don't they do that you know who, who, right. why weren't they doing that but but on this guy it not only that you don't have to buy a pedal board I mean you can literally just pull the x wings out 
mount your pedals on there with Velcro, turn the thumb screws and leave them in place. And just carry that. That's your rig now. You don't need you don't need a yep. giant board. Um now he also showed, and I don't have a picture of it, the new controller, which is designed so that it can attach to the front of this unit. So in other words, it's not like a separate piece that you're going to put somewhere else. It will literally be additional rows of buttons below what's here already. And given that they have a 32-core processor in this guy, and he said something about we're only going to use eight cores for this and, you know, they got additional cores available. I'm betting that those buttons are fully programmable. That he has got it so that if you want to use them for channel selection, if you want to use them to right. turn your boost on and off, because you noticed on the amp one, the boost switch was labeled boost. None of these have letters on them. Nope. Because I noticed that right away. Yeah, I think they're going to be fully programmable. I, I he didn't say that, but that that's because he said we're going to keep some things secret for the for the uh the actual the NAM, launch nam launch yeah because he's coming to nam uh yeah no he's gonna make a big deal out of coming to nam and showing this thing off and nam is for the smaller merchants now like yeah. nam is really not for fender and gibson anymore it's for people like thomas no. blue who have a product that they need to get investors and they need to get uh they need to get retailers to buy into um yeah. Personally, I think this thing is going to be a smash hit in Europe where his stuff has already been a smash hit. I think yep. if you're if you're in the Kemper crowd, this is never going to go out of date. I mean, that's that that's the thing I want to point out to people. When you buy one of these products because it's all analog, it's not like next week there's going to be a better one and you're going to want to dump this one. That's not how I mean, the digital stuff, that's how that works. I have no desire to sell my amp one. If I was going to buy right. this, it would be in addition to, not in place yeah. of. Um, so I'm not even thinking about selling my existing. In fact, what I think I'm going to do is I'm probably going to snatch up the Iridium and I'm going to snatch up the Silver Edition um, maybe before I buy this because it would be nice to have them all. However, they are saying that this has the Silver and the uh, the Iridium sounds built yeah. right into the board. So That would be... That would be awesome. If that's the case, then it kind of doesn't make sense to go about that way. I would probably yep. just buy the Ampex. Because uh, yep. if you think about it, that's it's like 500 bucks for a silver edition, and then it's like another 600 and it's, If you buy used, it's another 600 to 700 for the Iridium. So yep. you might as well just buy because you're in 1400 or something. You might as well just buy the... Um, right. You might as well just buy the Ampex at that point. Yeah. Um, but I... Look. This is exciting stuff. The reason why we're talking about this on the show is because this is a tool that practical, pra as in people who play, right. are actually going to be able to use. And I, I, you know, we had him on the show, and um, Jim and I both used the product. Like, I'm very excited about this, and this is flying under the radar for most folks because they're only concerned with Fractal and you know Kemper, which. I haven't heard any details about Kemper's launch this year. Um, they got some significant stuff waiting in the wings. And I know that from some behind the scenes conversations with some folks that, that work with Kemper, but it's like none of this stuff has materialized. And some of the right. stuff's been being talked about for three, four years, but I guess to the same token, the amp X was in development for five years. Well, I know that. So, well, we'll, we'll get more into why I care about this, but the latest Kemper software 
um, put in some stuff that I'm going to be able to use on stage. They get to dual uh, amps yet? They did get, no, but they did get to where I can control it from my iPad without having to wire anything. It's wireless. Do you, is, it, is it, you have to have Bluetooth That's adapter stage, or do you have to have a Bluetooth adapter I'm, or does it? No, nope. apparently it's in the stage. Oh, right. That's right. The, the stage, they, they staged, they didn't tell anybody. They slipped a Bluetooth adapter in under the hood um, and didn't tell anybody that was coming because it was just, right. there was a matter of them writing a driver for it pretty much. Yep. So that is there. Um, so I'll be, I'll be doing a lot of stuff with my Kemper this week and I'll explain why when I get to Gig Report, but that's, uh, what's there. So right now, if, yep. You're on the fence about modeling before we ra we're wrapping the segment up, by the way. Um, if you're on the fence about modeling and you're interested in tipping, dipping your toe into the modeling world without, you know, maybe going full hog and buying uh, an Axe 3 FM9, something like that. So the FM9 is priced to compete with low-end modelers. Um, the, yeah. the And I, well, I say low-end, they're not really low-end, but low-end professional, right? So like... If right. you're going to buy a GT1000, it's $999, right? Although I'll tell you, I've never seen one sold for $999. Uh, the, I, in fact, I saw Sam Ash marked them down to $575 a year or two ago. Um, and we're really? blowing them out on some sort of, I think it was a Memorial Day, a day deal. Um, and I was like, really? Um, and then, of course, the, the, shortly thereafter, the GT1, the, the, um, not the yeah GT one thousand core or whatever came out and um yep. which which I understand that's been a better seller than the than the big guy was um but yeah. they just you know they kind of hit the mark with those they, they kind of they they missed the mark with those because they didn't upgrade their modeling tech enough um and so and there were some limitations to the impulse responses and so at least from my perspective the um the entry level modeling stuff like it starts at about 999 uh even though you can get a GT1000 for like 750 if you look around or ask around um once you get into that entry level modeling it kind of doesn't make sense to me um to look at products that are like 2 2 grand as uh, in the same light right so the FM9 runs the same software as a big guy but it doesn't doesn't do as much you know in in terms of like can't run multiple amp models at once or 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 like you'll run out of basically you run out of dsp early i don't want to say that because i don't know exactly what the limitation is on the um on the fractal stuff but that you know of course then they came out with the fm13 or whatever which is bigger and apparently that has less limitations it's it's just like the big guy fractal um and then of course then the big guy fractal now has like the the street fighter 2 turbo edition upgrade that you can get for it um which is Look, if you're gonna buy one right now, I don't think I, I still wouldn't buy a quad cortex. I I you could buy the Kemper Stage. Of course, Kemper Stage is, you know, if you if you're comfortable buying a nine-year-old piece of tech, um, that is uh by all accounts, you know, missing a few features that that people think are going to be coming in a in an update at some point. Um and then of course, or you could buy you could buy what the quad cortex, which came out kind of incomplete and has remained incomplete for two years at this point it has been on the market for i i think we're i think we're in the second year uh and it is still incomplete 
And uh, I, I personally, if you were going to do either of those products or any of those, you know, modeling products, I think you'd go Kemper. I think you'd go Helix, which even Helix is now long in the tooth. I would not be surprised to see a new Helix launch in the next two years. Um, we've been saying that for a while now. Um, and I know I listen, I, I there there are a few people that I talk to regularly who have said, you know, I don't think there's going to be a new Helix anytime soon. They're going to support that platform forever. I am willing to be Jim, come on, stay out of the chat. <laughs> I just, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm willing to bet that Helix uh, gets a new iteration, regardless of what people think in terms of, you know, this is going to be around for the foreseeable future. Now, there will be there will be a successor. There has to be because eventually they run out of processing power. Um, and they've already gotten to the point where all the new updates seem to like kill its ability to do anything so i would i would this what that's why an analog piece of gear exists right so even though this has digital stuff in it the reality is that the drive models are analog the draw the the uh, boost modes are analog um i'm sure he's going to put fuzz in here that's going to be analog you know because yep. that's what his whole stock and trade is and then like if you if you if the 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 uh, digital stuff that you don't like in the in the unit, you don't like it, you don't use it, you patch in your stuff on the X wing and you move on. This this yeah. this product is going to last ten years. That's that's what I figure in the marketplace. So yeah. So the amp one lasted, I think it came out in twenty fourteen. So yeah. I mean, that's that's on par, right? Seven eight years still, for a product that has a very limited feature set compared to, right. to you know something digital. And there's really the amp one isn't anywhere near EOL. So, I mean, no, he's still going to continue producing them. Yeah. So that's not something that, that you could, you would say, Oh, well the amp X is out. No more amp ones or whatever, you know, well, the amp one, we didn't, we didn't like that. No, they're, they're going to still come out. Well, the reason why they discontinued the, the original remote is because they need the remote for the new one. And it didn't right. make sense to maintain two SKUs when the new one is going to have all the same features that you can use with the existing one. Right. Um, so, you know, but I think he, I think he did that a little too early because he's still saying we figure Amp X is going to show up sometime around Christmas. Right. Christmas, January. He wouldn't put a date on it, but, but he was basically saying like, we're going to finalize the design. Hopefully sometime in August, he's going to start actually using it on all his gigs, which he actually apparently already does use it on his gigs. He's going to use yeah. it on all his gigs for the remainder, you know, for the next six months and just make sure everything is where it should be and go through all the, all the pieces of it. And there will be other beta testers. He's got a bunch of guys in Germany that, that uh, beta test for him. And so we will have a, that's the one thing you can say about this. You're not going to get a half baked product like the quad cortex was. Right. Um, right. And there's not going to be probably paid endorsements. Uh, most of the amp one videos that exist that were like endorsement videos were him going out and sitting with somebody and, and working through the device with them because right. it wasn't an endorsement video so much as I want to show you this. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. I think this is going to be a, I think this is going to be a strong product launch. Um, and I think it's going to have all the bugs worked out and I think it will be, I don't think it'll be in December. I, he's saying around Christmas, I think it'll be, Probably June next year, to be honest, February, between yeah. February and June next year, at some point in that in that quarter, um, that's when we're going to see it, because 
unforeseen circumstances. We've still got, um, although he claims that they have all the parts they need, um, because they've been sourcing throughout the pandemic. Uh, I think this thing has been finalized for quite a while. They're working on the software. That's been the biggest challenge because every time he gets it gets brought up, he's talking about software engineering, and so I think that's where they're sort of at the development development timeline. He did mention that, um, which some people totally misconstrued. He did mention that it will not have a whole full complement of digital effects uh, when he shows it off next week. That right. that uh, they will be working on this for the foreseeable future. The blueprint thing, so like adding additional amplifiers to this guy. It's so like let's say you want to sound like a dual rectifier. He can do that. Uh, when he rolls out that dual rectifier blueprint, it's not clear whether it's going to cost you additional money. Uh, it's probably going to have a little bit of a cost attached to it, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as expensive as everybody's thinking it's going to be because he basically said, I just need to cover the cost of what it costs us to make one. Um, right. So he essentially that's somebody bringing a special amplifier to him so he can sit down and go through all of the details and fine tuning. And then they put it in there and they're talking about, there's one JSIM 800 that a friend of his has. It's like a really, really good unit. And they want to do that as the first blueprint that they're going to sell um and that the effects and stuff may also be part of that process so i don't think the digital i think most of the digital stuff will probably be in place by the time it launches because we're talking courses flangers delays reverbs all that stuff is going to be easy for them to bake in it's the, the complicated stuff that you know like harmonizers and shit like that i don't think you're going to see that kind of stuff in this product um, no. that would be something you would buy an H9 for and pair it up with this guy or something like that. Um, so anyway, I'm going to, uh, oh, we get, we got a chat from Stephen Granger. Um, oh, uh, well, thanks for blowing smoke up our ass. Um, ah, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. We, we, we try. Um, it's, uh, it's a process. Take my word for it's, it. It's nice. You know, part of the reason why we converse about things that like we know not necessarily everybody's a gearhead and all that is because it's nice to know what's on there. When, you're, when your yeah. stuff breaks, sometimes you have to go out and get something else. And you're like walking into the guitar store and being completely blind because you don't go in it. But every five years, that could be yeah. a real problem, especially in today's market. So um, anyway, I'm going to flip over to our next topic. Which okay. which is one you brought yeah, up. Yeah, the old sell on reverb. Sell on the reverb. Um so, so there's a change. I'll I'll bring up the reason I brought it up. So there's a change in what's going on with reverb. Reverb is going to start offering you a cash buy. Reverb itself, not a buyer from reverb. Reverb is gonna say, Hey, we noticed you put this up. We have a reseller that wants to di- what what it is in the background is they've got resellers who are willing who are looking to buy your gear to then resell it for you. So reverb oh is God. acting as a middleman. Oh and this, this, I, I don't see this. I mean, Jim, I, I, I actually I, wasn't upset the other night when you told me about this. But when you said that just a second ago. I'm like, you're fucking kidding me, right? Yeah, so it, it, what's happening is Reverb's going to buy your gear. Let's say Chicago Music Exchange wants to sell, um, let's say, my white Alpine track. Yeah, right, or, I right. mean, uh, um, my Alpine White Les Paul. So they go and they they offer me a certain amount of money. Thanks, Stephen. A certain amount of money where um, they say, uh, hey, we're – you know, we're willing to take your Les Paul 
So they go to Reverb and they go, tell this guy, we'll buy it. And then Reverb says, yeah, we'll buy it. We'll buy it. So how much do you think that Re Reverb's got to make money in the whole exchange? Because Reverb's going to have me ship it to Chicago Music Exchange. But they're going to take a piece of that, you know, that union. Well, but so Reverb is always built on microtransactions, right? I mean, that's, right, right. I don't think they're I mean, that's, concerned about right, making money. They're not money looking to make way. a ton of money. They're, they'll make a couple percent in the, in the thing. But it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing in that they'll be CME's, you know, uh, thing. They'll, you know, CMA will go, we're looking for Alpine White Les Pauls. Oh, we got a hit. Okay, let's offer this person some money so that we can make money on the transaction. So the other night we were discussing it. Uh, the, Reverb started piloting this program. I think it was in 2019. It might have been yeah. in 2020 where they were buying Fender Strats. They were buying American Standard Stratocasters. Right, Strats, yeah. Um, and it was, and I think they had some other stuff too. It was like the, the 10 highest selling, or the, the most frequent sold items they, they started right. doing that with. Um, so if you're think about it this way, we all bitch and complain about what guitar center will give you when you trade something in. And that was sort of what was going on with reverb, although they were not offering like a horrendous, uh, you know, tank amount of money for, for your guitar. It was not, let's put it this way. You were taking a hit. Okay. Yeah. Um, I believe it was like, it was basically, I'm trying to think. So it was like probably 80% of the used value of your item, which is, you know, a little bit higher than the, than the 66% that you would get from guitar center. Um, so I mean, it's not, it's not again, guitar sellers less hassle because you don't have to ship the yep. damn thing or anything like that. And of course that's the, the hidden, the hidden fee of reverb, right? Is, and that's the hidden part yep. that, that you have to pay for the part. shipping part and the shipping sucks. I mean, you pay for the shipping through Reverb, so you get a rake off on it, but you still got to buy right. a box. You got to buy packing material, or you have to keep a bunch of packing material and boxes laying around, which is what like I, I do. Which is what I do now. Um, but but still, I mean, there's a there's a cost associated with that, and of course, you got to drive to the post office, you can drop it off. Um, there's a cost associated with that, and so like when you yep. really think about it, it's it, look. Sometimes you might be better off trying to find a local seller. Or a local buyer, rather. Um, right. So I've actually been doing a, a dual dual prong approach now. If somebody wants to buy it locally, I'm more than willing to do it locally because, in fact, I'll give you a better deal because I know what it costs me to sell it online. You know. Um, so here's here's where where I'm starting to take issue with this. So like, if they're going to be connecting us to resellers, and the mm -hmm. reseller is going to lowball you. Because you know that's what's going to happen. They're going to be asking for sixty per six percent or seventy percent right. of of the used value. Why would you want to take that if you're already selling on Reverb, where you're going to get screwed on the shipping? Yep. You're going to get screwed on you know, like, and you know that some of these sellers are like I don't care if it's CME or whoever. Some of these sellers are going to be picky about what they're bringing in versus how the condition is described. Um, we've all heard the horror stories about somebody saying that something in good condition is awful. It's a piece of, you know, piece of shit or whatever. And it's not even like, it's not even my, it's minor issues. Um, but they want a refund or, you know, right. and, and they want you to make good on it, which is really, this just, guitar a, which is really just a post-sale negotiation tactic. I want yeah, $20 I heard, back. 
Yeah, I heard a, a horror story recently about a person who said, yeah, I want some money back because it wasn't set up the way I like it set up. Yeah. That's literally one of the complaints. It's somebody, like, oh, somebody bought no. A, from, from a local <laughs> guitar shop, and I won't say who, somebody bought a guitar. It's just, they, they listed it as a very good condition, um, and it had fretware, but it was a 10-year-old guitar listed in very good condition. What did you expect? It was going to, you know, kind of come out of the, like, like brand new out of the box? Like, it's 10 years old, you moron. And, and exactly. they disclosed that it was 10 years old in the listing. And it was like some minor fretware. This is like 20 years yeah. of fretware. This guitar's been rode hard and put away wet. It needs to be refretted. No, it doesn't. It needs a fret job. Go get a fret job done. But the reality is, of course, the buyer has probably got a local tech who's telling him, I don't want to do a fret job. I want to do a refret because it's 350 bucks. Um, right. So, Versus 30 bucks or right, 40 right, right. bucks. So, right. then, so then they end up, you know... I don't know how that actually how that ended up uh, actually being resolved, but um, I'm sure Reverb got into arbitration and it became this whole nightmare before it was finally resolved. Which yeah. is the which is the fear I have whenever I do a transaction on Reverb, is that well, I'm going to end I, up with the dickhead customer. Right. Um, remember when I sold my V on Reverb? I I was frightened as heck that something because that was a 30 year old guitar, 40 mm -hmm. 40 year old guitar, and and I'm like. And I had it refretted, but I, I disclosed the refret, and I said otherwise original, um, and I took all the pictures. But and long as you document it, you'll be protected. It ain't yeah. it ain't eBay, where they just must right. totally bullshit you. Um, right. But you know, I so so now we're now we're opening up reverb to allow people to take lowball offers from stores. Like right. I get it. But You're trying to be what? What are you? Are you a marketplace for musical equipment, or are you a right. sales venue for shops? Because that's I'm where I'm at right now. I'm like, do I really want to do business with you if you're going to pick the shop side over mine? Which is exactly what's happening right now. Well, I'm wondering. This is this is the thing I'm wondering. So, I'm wondering if they're replacing Guitar Center, trying to replace the one part of Guitar Center slash any other shop that's local. Um, their their ability to take in trades because most, if not all, guitar shops take in trades by you walking in, and that's the one last venue where you walk in to do it. You Jim, present do you, your guitar. Do you think they have to facilitate that? That's already been going on. That's what I mean. That's why and you're like, going to take it. That's why I said they're screwing the consumer. They're screwing right? people like you and I because now. Yeah. We get the well, let me dangle this cash in front of you, and it's yeah. like we know how musicians are, right? Like, oh, cash. Um, yeah. But but re realistically, like, Money. I'm just thinking about this whole thing, and I'm like, this was already going on. That, right. Like, I had had low ball offers from stores right. or stuff I had put up, which is why I'm like, no, I'm not going to take well, that offer. You. I'm selling this on Reverb because I'm looking to get what it's worth. Not what you're willing to pay me for it, um, right? And that's, you know, so it's like you're still gonna have to be smart about it. But now you're gonna be tempted, uh, in addition right. to being but, smart about it. Right. But the problem that I'm gonna that I'm presenting here is that you would probably get more money in that case. You'd probably get more money going to Guitar Center or your other local shop, whatever shop it is. Um, you know, maybe. Atomic Guitars. I don't know. Make maybe. One up. Maybe. Um, I mean. In, because 
they're not they're they're going to take a piece and then the far end seller is going to take a piece and the far end seller isn't going to get you isn't going to want to make less than 35 percent or so on a resale i mean that's that's kind of staying in business money right at which is why well i don't think honestly think this is going to go anywhere no. um the only time this will be an will be a useful service is when you go into your local guitar shop and you say, I'm looking for this very specific item. Can you get right. this for me? And they go, right. yeah, we'll get you one. And they might, right. they might because they know it's you and because of the situation, they might be willing to take a 20% margin on it instead of a right. 30%. Margin. And because they know you're going to want it. Um, and it's that kind of customer or the really big, again, that's still that kind of customer, the really big ticket items. Well, the other, you know, the, the other predatory piece of this is that, of course, we know how hard it is to estimate the shipping cost for something. So, mm -hmm. like, I buy rolls of, of and I've, in the past, I bought rolls of um, of uh, bubble wrap, right? Yep. Which your typical roll of bubble wrap is 10 bucks. And yep. I can pack, you know, depending on what I'm packing, like, some things I've sold, I had to use an entire roll of, of bubble wrap to sell it, where that $10 may not necessarily have been reflected in the shipping cost. Where I'm like, shit, that sucks, and that's where they're gonna get you. Is yeah, you might you might make basically what you're expecting to make for your item, but at the end of the day, you're gonna overpay for the shipping, and the store walks out and goes, Haha, "We got it, and we didn't even have to pay for the shipping." Uh, yep, that's right. And, uh, there may be re um, redirects where, um, you know, because reverb when you. When you ship through Reverb, it's really Reverb buying the shipping. So, um, and so the way this works is they then can control the shipping and they can just redirect that and, item. And it is padded, but it's not padded a ton. You right, believe right. it or not, I know I know what shipping costs for a lot of stuff, and like, yeah, it's you not can that go bad. get the real quote from from um, you know various places, and you'll find out like. Yeah, having an account with with USPS where you do X amount of volume, or UPS for that matter, almost every time UPS yep. is cheaper for me. Um, UPS has X amount of volume that goes through there. They get a massive discount, uh, right. and of course they're marking you up, you know, a little five percent. But it's not, but it's not much. It really no. isn't, and it doesn't take away from that savings. Because um, I looked at using UPS directly and using Reverb when I shipped the V. Yeah. And to be honest with you, Reverb was better. Yeah. So by about ten percent. And I knew I had that protection through Reverb shipping. Yeah. Which is what that little bit is is paying for, really. Right. So when um, you add on the insurance cost, then it works out to being a roughly equivalent to what you would pay at, at UPS. But you will not have insurance unless you unless you go through Reverb, like the buyer protection that Reverb offers. That's right. And the seller protection. So yep. that's why you'd use the reverb label. I mean, that that yeah. is literally the reason you use a reverb label. So yeah, and so I did. And, and as a matter of fact, everything I've sold through reverb, I have used the reverb label. Same. So the the truth is, it's only going to affect people. And this is the thing that 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 I want to take. I, I want people to take away from this, at least as far as my look at it, is the only people that this takes away from is the people who couldn't. When I went to Reverb, I sold to make more than I would go make at Guitar Center or wherever, okay? I'm using Guitar Center as a, as a placeholder for a local shop, okay? Um, I didn't use them to make uh, the same or less. And so 
that was really the reason. And and to be honest with you, I don't think that the end user, the end buyer, I should say, makes any better than they would have if they went to local shop, if they could find that item at local shop. I think that, that it's just the convenience and the fact that they're getting what they want for a little bit less money than they would buy it new, and they're getting it from, you know, through Reverb, where they have some protection. Um, and I think that's that's a good thing. Um, now, I will say this. Let's say you've got, because there is a backdoor way to make more money at Guitar Center. Let's say you're looking at buying uh, a Stratocaster, America Pro Strat. What's that, 1600 bucks? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you go in and you go, wow, $1,600. I've got a pedal that is like 30 bucks. And I take it to the Guitar Center, and they're only going to give me 15 bucks. But you know what? If you're looking to train, if you take that pedal in and you train it toward that guitar, you just saved $160 on a guitar. Right. So, and I've said this before. So that little bit of dump you took on that that pedal, you actually make that up by, by yeah. trading it in on a guitar. It's, you get an automatic 10%. Yeah, so. it's a rare instance where you get away with that because you're normally not trading in a super low. And but I've done that before too because yeah, I've done it personally. Yeah, I'm, and and that's one of the only ways to get massive discounts at Guitar Center, other than working there now. So yeah, um, yeah. there are other ways. I can't say too much, but um, but that's one yeah. of the one of the main ones. Um, you yeah, get, the other you one is get artist you... pricing. If you get artist pricing, right. then you're going to get a discount. Um, yeah, I, I don't and, ask and me how you, I know. <laughs> yeah, don't ask us how we know. Um, and, and there's another there's another way. Obviously, if you're military, by the way, for us military folks. Um, you get 10% automatically anyway. So it, mm -hmm. it doesn't save me anything. The other, the other thing you can do is if you, have, if you have someone who is a friend at Guitar Center who works there, you can tell them, hey, I'm planning on buying item A. As long as it's a new item, not used and not on sale, um, you can get, it used to be 20%. I think they've taken it to 15%. I yeah, could be they wrong. have like a 15% coupon they can give out once a quarter. Or yeah. whatever, or they get like two once of them a, a quarter or something. Is that what it is? is once yeah, they get month. once a month. And then the, the top tier sellers get more than one a month. Mm -hmm. So it's always nice to make friends at Guitar Center if that's, you know, that's something that you're interested in as far as doing. And that that's across any new item. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's a, I think it's a top of 500 bucks. So that's like, that goes up to like the $3,000 items. You can get, you can save yeah. a lot of money if you're yeah. looking at a high ticket item. So that's something to do. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's all I wanted to say about selling at reverb or yeah, selling at reverb. Yeah. So just to just cap this off, like, um, you know, for, for, for our listeners and, and viewers, like if you want to make sure that you're protecting yourself, don't compromise your value because somebody dangles cash in front of you. That's the fastest way to get taken. Um, right. And that's that's my fear here is that this is really just reverb siding with with business over individual sellers. And they've already gotten to the point where they've started to chase people off with higher fees and everything else. I mean, yep. hell, the fees went up again this year and like I'm they're almost 10 percent now. They've got to be they got to be like 11 percent now. I, yep. I have to look at my last transaction because it's been a while since they sold on there. But I, but I remember going, wait a minute, there's like. $50 missing out of my bank account that was supposed to be deposited from Reverb. And I realized that was the, and I was not selling big ticket items, um, which is yep. where I was like, that's messed up. Um, so yeah. I, um, yeah, I'm, I, as I said, selling on Facebook, selling on Craigslist is going to become a viable alternative again. 
and yeah. they're gonna they're gonna cannibalize their own sales. There will be there are already people who were big eBay or, or reverb sellers and eBay sellers before that, um, who have basically said screw this platform. I'm going back to selling over on the gear page or or Craigslist or Facebook uh, Marketplace. And I think yep. some of that will be motivated by the taxes too, because yep. we we've already covered that on this episode. But the the, the tax changes just make this much more of a pain in the ass. And the fact that you're going to actually have to pay for tax prep services in some cases to be able to oh protect yourself um, so that you yep. can, you build, so you can sell shit on reverb. It's just bonkers. Um, yeah. I don't know why the feds think that that's the way that everything should work, but um, it, it is clear. You don't, that you do. don't get a tax for, from your local reseller that's what doesn't make any no, sense that's my point like i can take shit to my local consignment shop and i'm not gonna right. get a tax form from them i don't understand the um take from from that it when you when you walk into guitar i guess it's because you're selling at a loss i don't know because they know you're selling at a loss but it it just i don't know i, I, I think wrong. that 1099 thing applies to it's probably supposed to apply to everybody, but realistically, it only applies to online sellers because it's trackable. It's yep. traceable. It has to do with credit cards and stuff too. There's like a whole thing. They're wanting to get the money. They're getting wanting to get a piece of the credit card transaction. Like that's that's a big part of the uh, what's yep. what's motivating this. So, um, so we'll move on to goals for 2022. And then Jim, this is kind of a new topic that we didn't really discuss before the episode, but um, I think we're we're almost to the six month mark. Uh, for the show uh, yep. for this year. And I know that we had done, uh, we had done some talking about goal setting back in January. Um, and I just kind of like, it's, it's worthwhile now to step back and take a look and do an annual review for ourselves and where we are. So I don't even remember what my goals were, um, but I have a feeling it was regarding a MIDI programmable pedal board that wound up happening and then getting taken apart. Um and uh so that so that was a thing um do you remember any of yours because i actually was yeah, just i think set it was probably ones. it was probably not buying any more les pauls i don't know you know yeah it probably was um, actually and now you've got what two more i think yeah um so well since the beginning of the year i've got two one more, more one less one different so, yeah, yeah one less one more but all right so here i, I think that the goals that I had, I am actually achieving. Um, although I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get to the gig report here shortly. I keep saying the gig report. Though. I had a certain goal of working on um, a lot of my uh, fundamentals as well. I have been so busy playing out. I have been not working on my, and it and it's not a good excuse i i so no one it's actually goal, a perfect which was, excuse at least yeah, you're one playing. goal yeah one goal outside of guitar was to lose weight and i've been losing weight and um uh i i saw a video of myself from last year and then a video of myself from this year at the same place around the same time and i went yep it's happening and it's happening slowly i get fat overnight i'm gonna get slim overnight you know so i i'm not an idiot. Um, I'm working hard at it. And I'm in my late 50s. I mean, I turned 58 this month. So, um, you know, it's not as easy and it's not as fast as it used to be. You know, I can't go out 
and run six miles because I feel like I'm a little chubby. Right. Right now, running six miles at all, much less uh, <laughs> in the amount of time it used to take me. So I used to be able to run six miles in, you know, under four, well under 40 minutes, right. folks. And so I was a six miles, 36 to 35 to 36 minute person. I was an under 36 minute 10K runner. So to now be, um, which is 6.2. So now it's, it's harder. I get up in the morning, I run for, um, I run and work out for an hour. So um, that's, a, that's a big goal that I finally got to and I do every day, but one day a week. Okay, so I run, I, I uh, work out six days a week in the morning for an hour. Which means getting up earlier. And because work doesn't care, work wants you to get, you know. So I'm a little bit more, um, uh, my time is crunched a little bit. And I used to play We can my, talk about um, time crunches if you want. Work. We can talk yeah. about that. Yeah, and, and so, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, you feel it too. And so um, there's the uh, working on fundamentals. I, I started finger picking fundamentals and, and uh, um, hybrid picking fundamentals is one of the things that I've been trying to do more and more and more. And I think I've gotten better at it and I'm applying it more, but when you've got a gig every week and it's something that, so it says, hey, like, um, you, you uh, I don't, don't stretch try, as much. You try to do it the easy way so you can get through it. Yeah, I'm trying to get through things, get to things because I'm learning this song for this weekend or sometimes two or three songs for this weekend. And then, yeah, um, you know, getting my, keeping my fingers up to date. Also, I'm drinking a lot more water. This is just water, folks. Um, and uh, this used to have my name on it. it this was obviously not uh, dishwasher safe. Uh, but, you know, trying to keep my voice uh, because I sing, I sing lead and I sing backup and trying to sing my, keep my voice. And during allergy seasons, that's even harder. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, I just realized I haven't taken my allergy meds this morning. So I got to do that. Um, it, you know, it, it's, Thank you, Stephen. Um, I honestly am trying to work hard to do all these things to take my care of myself physically because I'm on that stage for three that, hours. I was just going to say, that's musical prep. I think people like yeah. miss the fact that like when musicians work out, it's not so they can play sports necessarily. In a lot of cases, it's just so they can like perform. <laughs> yeah, if you go to my YouTube page, um, there will be more coming up because of last the weekend gig I just had um, you look at the videos I'm not standing there staring at my fretboard most of the time no. I am I am an active I go from one side of the stage to the other I'm interactive with the audience I I have to think and I have a Les Paul strapped around my neck the whole damn time right from start to finish with the exception of a break mm -hmm. I have a Les Paul take a 15 minute take a um, a wait between eight and a half to 10 pounds, strap it around your neck and just do the things you do. You know, right. do your dishes, fold your laundry, do, you know, mow your lawn. And the physicality of mowing and weed whacking your lawn, if you did that for um, all that time, even just that little thing with that thing wrapped around your neck. By the way, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little uh, sea story to, to get through this. So when I was in the Navy, when I made chief, they made us wear an anchor around our neck the whole work day 
for <laughs> and it was to to show you that the weight of of the things you do is around your neck the whole time and and think about that looming around you it was it was a you know a lot of people oh they made me do this to uh, shut up it was a there was a point behind it and if you didn't get it and nobody would explain it to you then either you're an idiot or you worked for assholes but the point that i'm making here is simple you, you work hard and physically work hard so taking care of yourself is important and I can't be up there. I can't get drunk and I'm not young enough to, you know, do that. And I don't imbibe in, in drugs. So uh, the fact is that I drink water and I exercise and I look after what I eat. I, I made the mistake of stopping at Taco Bell on the way back home from the gig. And let me tell you something, Sunday morning yesterday, Oh God, I was paying for that awfully. <laughs> and all I did was eat two gorditas. And I was like, I definitely should have like prepped up. I should have boiled some, some chicken and put it in the, in the um, fridge to make when I got home. And I didn't, and I paid for that. And I paid for that dearly. I was ghastly sick. So um, I'm not, how, what am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that that it's important to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one of my goals. Working on fundamentals, one of my goals. But getting more gigs was one of my goals. Yeah, and guess what? What's that? <laughs> we are we are gigging every freaking weekend, and it's like you're you're you know when you have a, a day job that that takes away from you. And I work in the evenings to work on my guitar stuff, and and I'm working hard every day to do that. It's it's a it's a strain. So yes, I'm I'm I've made goals, and most of them, with the exception of you know the nut, I actually stayed to four Les Pauls. So let's stay with, <laughs> let's take a win where we can get the win. <laughs> I still have we have four Les Pauls. Um, that that there's a there's a certain amount of of everything that you can do, you do right, and you do to to make those goals and and to continue past them. I think that I'm I'm doing those things. Um, so what are my what are my future goals for 2022? To continue to keep working out every morning, to um, stay healthy, and to continue to play out, and to um, I guess to to take one little thing that was coming in the in the gig report, and that was what people said afterwards. You guys were great. We loved you. I would pay to see you guys play. I, I didn't know what I was missing. You know, those are the kinds of things. That was the feedback we got this weekend. And that says a lot to, yeah, we we as a band, as a team, are meeting our goals as well. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's my goals. Um, so that's always a difficult situation. Stephen Green just comment. So he's because yep. it's it's an aside to what you were just mentioning. He says my bass player yeah, seems see. to think it's okay to get drunk on stage. Does my head uh, in? Uh, but he's a good player, so I don't want to cause friction. What's your advice? Um, it depends on a number of factors. So like, I don't know the person, but uh, I think being a good judge of character and understanding whether or not this is a real issue for them, um, and if they are someone you can approach because that's another another thing right like there are some people you can talk to about this thing and be like hey man you're you're a little sloppy when you when you drink a little too much before the show like cut, limit to limit to a beer or two 
Like it's okay. Right. That that's okay to have that conversation. Um, it's okay to have any conversation if you feel like even if they're a pain in the ass about it. You got to sit down and say, look, we're trying to be as professional as we can possibly be. We don't drink before the show because we know that leads to poor performance. Like a lot of people need a drink because they can't handle the stage thing, the stage fright thing. Right. Um, and that part I understand. So have a beer. You can't have 10. Okay. When you're sloppy drunk on stage, it shows. Believe me. Um, yep. Just think about it. Like. From the perspective of next time he's sloppy drunk, ask him, ask him to recycle, recite the circle of fifths to you and see if he can get through it. And then ask him to, and then ask him to ask give him you. Ask him he's sober though. He might not already know. And, and then ask him to go in flat order. Okay. And then he'll realize you have a problem because you're, you know, you're basically saying, look, your musical knowledge is skewed by this, but not only that, you're also giving a field sobriety test, which uh, makes that that much funnier. Um but, you know, that's, look, I mean, I play at an open jam every week and we got people that drink and we got people that don't drink. And you can tell which ones are the ones that drink and which ones are the ones that don't drink. Um, yep. Both, some of them are still good when they're drunk. Um, they're like still the best player in the room. Uh, others are like, holy hell, what the hell are you doing here? Um, so, you know, knowing the person makes a big difference there. If, if their drinking is getting in the way off stage and on stage, then yeah, it's still something you need to address. Like, for example, if they're walking around the audience on breaks and, and harassing people, um, yeah, that's not so, that's something that needs to be addressed even if they're a great player on stage while they're drunk um, because you yeah. can't have that. You're not going to get called back for the gig if he's walking around uh, following the bartender's daughter, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing and being a harassing individual. So that that's my thought process is like, when I have this happen, if it's in my band, I will address it. I will actually say something to the person when it comes I, up. Yeah, I'll add this. So um, this this applies to any job you have. If the drinking isn't affecting the work, then there's no point in addressing the drinking. Unless that drinking, and it's a good friend, and you want to give advice that, hey, this is affecting your health, that's a different thing altogether. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to work, you got to remember being on stage is a work. It's a it's a job. Yeah. And you want to be professional. There's a camaraderie now, there, but it's not necessarily friendship. It can be a job. I definitely know people that like play with people that they play with. They're not, right. you know, like they don't they don't hang out with They're them on the weekends. Money. You right. know, now I happen. Yeah, I happen to be in a band where we are friends, but we're also um, right. uh, professionals. So let me um, let me say this. So if if the drinking is affecting the playing, then it is something that should be addressed, regardless of how uh, difficult it is to cause friction. At that point, it is necessary to to address it. But it is also important to remember the purpose of what you're saying and not to attack the human attack, the action. Mm -hmm. So. In other words, the, con the conversation could be, I, I always tell people it's important to choose the words carefully. If you're going to say to someone, you're a drunk when you're on stage, now you've attacked the individual. Yeah, you have to have a, a tact when you have that conversation for sure. I would appreciate it. It, it, it. Another way to say it would be the effect. Drinking is affecting your ability to play well, or drinking is affecting your playing. Now you're saying, now you're saying it to say, okay, now I'm attacking what it is 
the action, the playing. Like, um, we were, uh, um, when we had our gig, I had one beer and I didn't finish it. I actually had it on the side of the stage and had a couple of sips off it every now and again. It was literally that couple of sips will take the edge off for me. I'm a different person. I don't need a lot to take the edge off. Um, but I also know that if I had finished that, if I had just hit it or drank it, I knew it would, where it would affect me. If the person is not self-aware enough to know that it's affecting their playing in a negative way or their ability to interact with all of you or the audience in a negative way, then they're not self-aware enough to be a part of a team because it's all a team and you're only as strong as your weakest link. And yeah, and yeah, and I raise my hand every time. I know that I'm the short fat guy over on the on the to your left stage right. And I know that the only thing that I can add to that is my I, I'm a little bit comical. I'm the class clown um, and I'm the person who just runs around playing guitar hard. Um, and so that is what I I add to the to the stage dynamic. But if I was drinking, I don't think that I would add that because I'm also the the timekeeping rhythm player. I do play some leads, but I am the timekeeping rhythm player and the and the high harmony and the you know the the singer that I am uh, when I do sing lead. Um, so I have to know that those are the things I bring to that team that they need from me. And if I don't if I don't bring those. I'm not going to be the one that people say, hey, good job. We really love you. We would be willing to pay to see you. Um, and that's, you know, uh, our lead singer is the good looking guy in the middle who has a baritone voice that that the ladies love. And I, I would I would be remiss if we didn't point this out. There is another non-confrontational way to deal with this, too. Mm -hmm. Start recording video, recording yeah. your performances and then just point out ask what you know are you drunk um <laughs> no, no you could say what, was, what happened right there what, what yeah you know you don't have Start to say attention to the what fact did that, you do just right. say it was something i heard right there. what make what it do about you think the performance right, right? and not I, about the drinking and make them draw that conclusion our lead singer band leader will say what do you think of this right here and i know i'll, I'll go yeah my harmonies were off or i'll go yeah my rhythm was a little tough right there or yeah, I, pro I didn't get back to my mic in time. Um, mm. You know, uh, those kinds of things are things that we will do afterwards. And we'll, and it's, oh yeah, I was a little loud right there. It'll, or I was it'll little... cost you 200 bucks for the, for the uh, Zoom uh, Q2N 4K, which I just bought. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be an indispensable tool for this kind of situation. And I'd not just, it, it I, I don't call situation, but just like knowing where your faults are, right? Um, and I've even right. been recording my practices at the house because I want to know what I need to work on. Um, yep. So I, you know, review a few minutes of it. And after I'm done and I go, oh, well, OK, it's clear what yeah. needs to work on here. Um, it never lies. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. It can also say positive things. Yeah. Because it, it, what's cool is I, I recorded our gig this weekend. And because I wear IEMs, OK, yeah. and, and I'm on stage. I don't have an amp. I got, and let me tell you, I, I 
watch the recording back and I go, man, we were actually pretty good. Yeah, I was like, yeah. wow, that sounded better than I thought. Yeah, yeah. It's nice when it captures something good that you didn't realize was like as good as it is. Um, so I could, there's at least two times I can remember playing a solo on stage. I was like, man, I wish I had a camera rolling. Cause I was like, that yeah. was really good. And I, I'd love to listen back and like figure out what I did. Um, yep. but, um, yeah, so that, that would be the way I would do it. So back to the goals for 2022. So yep. you talk about personal goals. Um, I'm pretty sure that I did have that gear goal of finishing that off. I accomplished that. And then I, and then I basically just violated my own rules and said, to hell with this, we're doing something else. Um, because it didn't end up being what I needed anyway. Um, but in terms of personal goals, uh, I wanted to learn more theory this year and I'm well on my way. Like I'm focused now. I have a better idea of what I need to learn. Um, I've been going back and forth with a couple of different people and asking questions and learning things as I go. And, um, I know most of the stuff that I'm coming across, but it's organizing it in ways that are meaningful and useful if that makes sense, or maybe codifying mm-hmm. some of it. Um, and that's been extremely helpful. Uh, the codifying part of, you know, understanding some of these things and also like being able to, since I'm doing this recording project right now, being able to like go over to a piano and play it on the piano. Like, yeah, yeah. Very helpful. And without actually thinking about being it, able to do that. Right. It makes you think in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's what um, I like about doing the keys. So, that part is coming along, right? I there, I know I had an, a, a thing about getting an album out this year, an EP this year, and that's, we're almost done. We're on the last few songs. Um, and uh, it's it's been kind of a bitter, the last two songs are going to be pretty bitter, hard-fought battles to get all the way through them because there's a lot of stuff that has to be right um, to make them work. And... Um, so we gotta we're gonna get through that process. We're hoping to be done by June fifteenth with tracking. Uh I'm talking to some people for mixing. We're talking to Stephen Miller, it's gonna be one of the people that we're uh we're gonna go to and see oh, yeah, yeah. see what uh what is available there, whether he wants to even take the project on because I'm not a great player and uh <laughs> and I don't really wanna have to have him do all this fix in the mix shit and uh spend a bunch of extra money. So just depends on what, what he's comfortable putting his name on. Um, yep. uh, he's no. a friend of the show. Yeah. Been on here a couple of times. He's been and, on here uh, twice and, uh, he's yep. an excellent engineer, uh, slash producer. I would call him a producer as well. Um, yep. and if you're looking for that kind of service, definitely look him up. Um, I showed him to my co-writer who's got connections to several local studios here. And I was like, listen to this guy's work and tell me that you don't want him to mix our thing. And he listened and he was like, okay <laughs> like you yeah. twisted my arm you know it's okay. like you twisted my arm um that whole experience by the way we've been we've been shopping around here and there's been some guys that we were just like you you you're gonna engineer our project because there's one case where this person's got quite a bit of credits under their belt but like every guitar sound in their in their demonstration catalog was like the same guitar sound and it's like, well, hell, I know what I'm going to sound like, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's not, no, I don't think we want to do that. Um, exactly. So not for, not for a guitar based band where the guitar is, you know, along with the vocal is the feature. 
Um, yep. And uh, well, you know, it'll be consistent. <laughs> so we're, you know, that's not going to work for us. But um, you know, in, in terms of additional goals for the remainder of the year, um, I'm not setting a goal to not get an Ampex or get an Ampex. I, I don't think the Ampex will actually be, debut this year. I think it'll be next year. Yeah, probably next year. Um, I think I don't need any more guitars this year. Um, I don't need any more like gear in general. I'd rather use what I have and learn to use it better. Uh, I would like to, and I think I actually said that in, in January. Um, I want to make sure that, um, I'm not carting around a bunch of extra crap that I don't necessarily need. Uh, I do have things that have, you know, like I'm going to keep them because at some point I'm, I am going to use them. Um, like there's BB preamp stuff like that. I, I do still use that stuff. Uh, but my boards are slimming down. I only have, I have five pedals in addition to the amp one on my board. That is my board. That's what it's going to be. Yep. Um, unless you can count the MIDI controller and the expression pedal. Um, but, uh, just kind of like getting things more professionally laid out. Uh, I'd like to get some gigs going by the end of the year. That's something I'd like to add on to this because uh, we have been so focused on this recording project. I thought we were going to be done in like May, March, April because uh, we started in December and it is just one, you know, punch in the gut after another of me getting sick or uh, I, I hurt my back at one point and couldn't play for a couple of days. I cut my finger and couldn't play for a couple of days. Oh, like yeah, just yep. stupid nonsense that has been holding us back and has pushed this thing back as far as it has. And I think both Tony and I feel like we don't want to, uh, we don't want to push this too far. Like we would rather make sure it's done right. And so we're taking our time with certain things which if we were under like a production schedule where, you know, we were going to get paid for this, we probably wouldn't be doing that. Um, so that's part of the, part of the uh, reason it's taken basically five months to get this done. Um, but we're also doing a full, you know, it's, it's almost a full length album. Uh, Cause you know, an EP is only supposed to be like 30 minutes long. We're, right. we're probably pushing. Cause I know we got a seven minute song and I think the next one's also a seven minute song. So with those two plus the other four, I think we I think we've actually just eclipsed like a thirty minute playtime. So um, it's not really a full album. I mean it's it is an EP. Let's let's be real about that. But um, it could very easily have been a full album at this point. Uh, and and so like just to shed some light on that process for for people tuned in, um, we did demos of every song that could have been released. And mm -hmm. we did more than one of most of the songs. And then we kind of batted the ball back and forth, writing those tunes by doing demos. So at this point, every song in the catalog, we've recorded like three or four times. Um, this final recording is more about getting everything perfect and getting it ready right, so we right, can send right. it off to a mix engineer. But like, this is, even though I consider this to be a demo, I think Tony... And I have both sort of like accepted that this is a first album. No band that plays in bars and small clubs records before they start playing out. We've just gone this, we've just gone this ass backwards route because he and I are both familiar with recording and we were like, well, 
you know, we should just put out an EP and then like, it just made sense to us. But like thinking about it after the fact, I was like, well, wait a minute, we're not tight enough to do this yet. Like, you know, most, most bands have, you know, 20, 30 performances under their belt before they even think about cutting a single. Um, we have never played live together, save for at open jam, the couple of times we've ended up on stage together. So it's a, which by the way, was, was a fun experience last time because we played together and we were locked in because it was like, well, we play together all the time. Like this is no big deal. Um, but it's, you know, it's a challenge and it's, it's a different situation. And, um, we're going to get through it and I hopefully by July or maybe August, we'll have an EP out and we'll have gigs Ooh. booked. We're talking about um, three, three gigs for the fall, like, like nice. late summer fall. And we, we already sort of know where those are going to wind up being because mm -hmm. Tony has some connections to certain places. And some of those people have been calling him, asking like, when can you come in? So we know we can line up gigs. That's not going to be an issue for us. We've got, we've got enough, um, like long-term connections to certain places that that's probably going to work out. Uh, some of them involve pretty large promoters in the area too. Uh, I won't say who they are, but if you reach out to me on the side, I can tell you, you know, at least one of them. Um, so there's that. And then in August, I think I announced in the last episode that I'm going to be playing Taste of Roselle again, which is a festival gig. Uh, it is not a big festival to... gig or anything, but there it's, I mean, we got a prime time spot. It's on a Friday night uh, on one of the biggest nights of August in my suburban area. So um, it's going to be fun. We played it last year. We played during the afternoon. It was kind of a shitty gig because it was super hot. And like my iPad wound up overheating, if you recall. And it was like a whole thing. And I can remember uh, th there's actually video of this event. And like my playing was terrible because I was just like so distracted by all the other nonsense and minutia that led up to the event but we got invited back and we got invited back for a prime time spot so obviously we did something right um and so this year like i'm gonna take it a little bit more seriously and i know what to expect going in so it's probably going to be a much better gig than the last one was because i won't be concerned with all the other crap that's going on and uh, right. not going to try that was the first gig i think i took my prs to actually um and i think oh yeah even that whole like that you know when you got a big gig don't try wow. new shit do what works and i was yeah. trying new shit <laughs> you know it's like because i was just like well this band really doesn't matter all that much anyway so i'll just uh i'll just play around and see what happens but and now a year later like, <laughs> at two years well a year later yes but but like we that's been going on for like three years now i've been playing with that band which is pretty wild like we started no playing i mean and, a year since that last one mm -hmm. yeah that that last no, time I'm just saying, when we you were started, like ah I don't care about this. <laughs> oh, I was just going somewhere. I, I said, we start playing in 2019. Like, and I just keep saying yeah. like, Oh, this band is not really, it's not my primary project, but it's the only consistent one. Like I get gigs every year to play with these guys. And I still kind of scratch my head and we do get better. Like, that's, what's funny is even though we don't rehearse or anything because we just yep. play more together. Um, the last gig we had was probably the best gig we ever had. And it was, yeah. and I didn't even have my whole, like, I didn't even bring my whole rig. I brought like an HX stomp and, and I had my, uh, my S 500 and the lights were like buzzing real bad through it. And I was playing with Ottawa all night, but it was a good, it was a fun like experience. And I think we were in front of the right crowd. Cause it was, we were opening for a fish cover band, um, for me to like, just kind of stretch out on some of these tunes. And, um, they were all digging it. Like we were playing this, the, um, 
like folky protest tune, tunes and stuff like we played the, this land you know mm-hmm. is, yeah and oh we, yeah this we played land it is like your land. super yep. slow and there was like oh god funk auto walk going on and and like heavy distortion and it was yeah it was uh because i'm just like oh hell the hell with it what are they gonna do fire me so i'm just like turning stuff on you know um and I, of course when i have that attitude when i'm just like fuck it what are they gonna do fire me at right. the end of the show they always come up and they're like oh my god that was so that was great, great what you did yeah. and i'm like but i thought you would like you told every time we're in, in rehearsal and there have been on times on stage where kyle comes over to me and he says and he leans over and he says, um, can you, can you do it with less drive? And I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, like, no. And, 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 you know, every time I'm like every show up, my drive goes up just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Right. And so like, I think, um, the, the show at the, uh, the two shows ago with the one we did, it was like an outdoor festival, um, downstate at a campground. And, um, he was he actually came up to me he's like it's a little too much drive and i looked down at my board and i elbowed the bass player and i said the fuzz is coming on in this next one <laughs> and it did too um i turned the fuzz on and he just gave me this look like and and when the show was over everybody's coming up to us tell us how good it sounded like the guitar playing was excellent whatever and because uh, like half the people in the audience don't even know that that's you generating that sound right um so it's just like this whole like funny juxtaposition right and uh, Kyle, you know, I'm sure he's getting feedback from people who are like, just let him go. Like, his, just let him do his thing. Like, um, so, you know, it is what it is. But um, yep. I guess that sort of fits for my gig report, too, because I don't really have one this yeah. week. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and switch the, the thing over. But uh, okay. that's, you know, my goals. I'm I'm well on my track, except for the, the gear goal of not buying a bunch of pedals this year, which... I haven't actually bought a bunch of pedals this year. I've sold more than I bought, believe it or not. I sold stuff and didn't replace it. Didn't have something else in mind. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, gig report. Are we ready for that? Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. It's all lit up so, and it's all yours. It's all mine. All right. So I'm going to make this quick. Cause we're going, we're, we're over two hours now. So I'm going to, no, we're always make over two quick. hours, bro. I know. <laughs> I know. We we always plan on we never make it's it. It's like two hours and thirty okay, so minutes, two hours and forty five yeah, minutes. We are the we are the Leo Tolskoy or whatever of the of yeah. the um uh, the uh whatever community here, hey, YouTube hey, community. Hey, one thing before you go on. At least our episode count like sort of lines up with the fact that we've been doing this five years. Yeah, we're yeah. we're two hey, this is two thirty one, I think. So Yeah. Th- this is uh for the listeners let me tell you something. This has been, I got a Facebook thing today that says, you've been friends with David Hill for this long. And I'm like, like, holy shit. Oh my God, <laughs> we've been doing this fucking podcast for so long. <laughs> I was, I was in my early fifties when we started. Jim, it's, we've been doing it so long that, that our podcast host doesn't have our initial statistics. Yeah. They're, they're and, gone. Yeah. And here's another thing, because his daughter, who is young, yeah, been growing up in the background yeah. in the in the whole thing. And I'm like, oh my god, she's gotten so tall. It's like it's like when you see, because um, she was a little thing. And I have a hell of a lot more gray hair. Let me tell you that. I know, I know. It's like we're we're all, it, it's so much. My hair is actually gray now. It's, I'm gonna it was graying. I'm gonna hit forty while we're doing this podcast. It's gonna happen. Yeah. 
I, and now my hair is gray, which is fine. I, I'm a silver-haired old man, whatever. So anyway, so gig report. We had a gig this week, last week, whatever you want to call it, Saturday, um, a few days ago, on, uh, on a campground, just like your, your campground thing. And campground gigs, let me tell you something. For people who think that um, these gigs, what are, what are your best gigs? We have club gigs. You have festival gigs. You have campground gigs. You have concerts that people pay to see you. My favorite gigs are the ones they call them, um, and of course, wedding gigs and that kind of thing, and corporate gigs. Those festival gigs, corporate gigs, wedding gigs, and that kind of thing, uh, campground gigs, they all fall into this umbrella of your audience. You have a captive audience. They're there. They're stuck to see you. And I love captive audience gigs and love them and and the campground was no exception it was a blast you have little kids they have a so at this campground we played they have a um, one of those bouncy house things yeah i think you Huge. did the camp, this campground last year yes because yeah because you talked it was in a, it was a previous gig report i remember that yeah and so we had this huge huge they have this uh huge bouncy house thing that's like no house it's just the bouncy floor i guess uh-huh. and they have these concrete, <laughs> concrete sl- seats, but most people sit on um, folding chairs. And then they have um, uh, like a, um, a swimming pool behind us, and they have uh, all, the, all the campground area where all the people are camping right there. It's like in a big swoop around us, right? Right, right. And then there's some... Um, uh, people pay extra to go where they can't hear us. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then they have these. Um, uh, uh, there's. It's really kind of. It's. It's hard to believe, but it's only like a mile and a half off of the Virginia Beach proper. So like, if you drove a mile and a half, you left the campground, went went to the right mile and a half. You're you're in the Atlantic Ocean at that point. So we're right there. And if you could see through the trees, you'd see the Atlantic Ocean right there. So you're right on the ocean. Okay. Right. right. Um, and, uh, but it's a wood, heavily wooded area, which it's hard to believe that this heavily wooded area still exists on Virginia beach on the beach. Um, and then <clears throat> there's damn neck base down a little bit further. So, um, just to give you an idea of where this campground is. So it's nice and cool in the evenings. Cause you have that, that ocean breeze. Yeah. That's the coming breeze in. Goes through, right. Yeah. And, um, so it's it's really nice. It's really um, well done, and you have literally thousands of people that are there. That are the place is packed. You could not get a camp. Um, one of our guys tried to get um, one of the camper spots, or mm-hmm. one of the um, they have uh, what do they call them? The little bungalow type things that they Cabins. that they rent. Cabins, thank you. And um, so nobody could get anything. It was, this was packed. The staff is packed. They're, they're, you know, they're working their butts off. And what's funny is they, they have a closing time, obviously, where they let everybody go to bed. But they don't really have a quiet time. Like, it has to be quiet at such and such time. They ask people to be quiet. So um, the cops show up during the gig, <laughs> unbeknownst to us. For a noise complaint. Of course. And of course. And so they show up and the cops come. And um, I had this happen to me at my house. Very similar outcome, too, by the way. Uh, back when I lived in upstate New York and I had a 
big nine acre place up there. The the cops show up and they're and um it's funny because they they uh the campground's like don't 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 worry, we're we're done at nine thirty, you know, we're gonna be gonna be quiet at that point. And the cops were like, No, no, this is a campground. We don't you don't have a perfect and then they go you know, it's like we just we just came by because we have to we have to respond when somebody makes a complaint. And so um the the music is killer, rock on. And they, so they told us and the, and we were like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and they were like, no, 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 it's fine. As a matter of fact, it was funny. We're telling you because it was funny. And um, so they were like, we got to have you back. Um, you are scheduled, right? In a couple of weeks. Ago, I don't know. Well, we got a we got a band that's backing out. So we need you back. So we're getting <laughs> you back for that. And we had a gig already scheduled for later. So we're going to have a gig every month of the summer. So we're we're scheduled all the way through. And what's funny is this was opening weekend. This was the this is opening day, right? Of of the big like uh, Memorial Day weekend is huge down here. Right. And so this is the big day, Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. And the place just people were sitting there watching us the whole time and they were they were like, no, no, play on, keep playing, keep playing. They they didn't want us to stop. We, we had to have them say, no, no, we got to stop. And we were, they were like, one more song. One more. Okay, you can do one more song. We were like, okay, we're going to do Freebird. He goes, anything Freebird. Because <laughs> they knew that it was going to go for like, you know, so we did Can't You See. But which if I, we if we did that one, because we play that one, if we do Can't yeah. You See, it goes on for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we only, we only did two verses of Can't You See. But what's funny is this is just what it comes to <clears throat> the place begging us to come back, um, you know, the and the people we had. I can't tell you how many people came up to us and said, I would pay to see this band live. You guys are that good. And this isn't a. This isn't one of those, you know, oh, everybody's drunk and they're, and you, you know, and it's, but we did so much work. Um, and, and our lead singer, band leader, who's, by the way, that's the name of the band is Fitch and Company. His name is on the, in the title of the, of the band. Tim went out and bought these, like, they're, they're styrofoam. They look like pool noodles, but they're a lot smaller. Right, right. They're about that long. And they have little lights in them, and you just okay. bang them to turn lights on and off. And he gave 76 of them out to the kids yeah. to run around. And they were just, there were adults, there were kids, it was everybody. We sang happy birthday to like a five-year-old. And it, you would have thought we made, the, the family was all like, you know, it, it all of a sudden you realize why you do this stuff. It's because, you know, it's because of that. It's because the, the adults, the kids, everybody was having a good. Little kids who loved Leonard Skinner and Bush just as much as they loved anything else we did. And um, it was, it, it's just, it, it makes your heart feel better because that's what it's all about. At that point, you know that, that it's about, you know, people loving what you do and appreciating what you do. And like I said, we watched, I watched footage back and I went, wow, that was better than last in my years. And, and it just, it, it, it reminds you of why you're up there. And, and I get, I get to feel that every time. And I, I don't underestimate or don't 
take for granted how good it feels to to be a musician who brings joy to somebody's life, even if it's only for a few minutes. Um, that's that's what it's all about. So that's that's my gig report is how great this band and the audience makes me feel. All right. So, before we before we close out here. Um... I do want to mention, of course, we normally go to GearFest, and GearFest is actually not going to happen this year in person. So I want to give the dates, because we will be, um, and, and of course, you know, plug some other things for the podcast. Um, so they'll be online, and they're going to be doing it online from June 24th and 25th. I mean, if you really care about new gear, you can watch it. They'll be... Uh, Probably all stuff that has already been announced at NAM or around NAM time. I don't expect that there will be anything exclusive from GearFest. And of course, yeah. uh, as usual, if you have things you want, call up your rep, see if you can get a deal. Um, I don't know how that, all that's going to work right now. I do think it's funny that they have partnered with uh, 60 Suckle Hum, Know Your Gear, and other podcasts, except that you know we, we've historically covered the on in-person event longer than know your gear and yeah 60 cycle hum so i just want to point that out uh you know hey I, there's nothing so I, I don't have bad feelings about that i, I just think it's kind of funny um know your gear who is it? oh oh phil mcknight, phil McKnight. um so we, we 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 have technically gone more times than 60 cycle hum and uh <laughs> we, have, we have been uh going longer than phil mcknight um so uh yeah you know, I think it's kind of funny that they partnered with them, but okay. Uh, I don't, yeah, hey, we don't you know, I that's really what it boils down to is like, who's got the sales power? Uh, 60 yep. Cycle Hum is clearly a sales podcast in, in yes. for the guitar world, uh, more than it is, um, more than it well, is a, I mean, a guitar, like a, just a straight guitar podcast, which we, we, we are more of that ilk. Um, right, right. Uh, so uh, alternatively, uh, so we're, this is GearFest is not happening this year. Uh, of course, NAM's next week, so you know, look for NAM coverage. Um, we are we have a Facebook group. Obviously, that's something we use. The uh, pictures that are on the left hand side here come from our Facebook group. If you want to submit pictures, you can do it there, or you can join our Discord. Um, and there's details for that in the Facebook group. Um, I will post those details in the uh, comments, show notes for each episode from here on out. Um, right. I am trying to encourage people to move to the discord. There will be a future date where we probably finally sort of end the Facebook group. Um, just because the terms of service are getting a little over the top. And I think we, we can manage a discord better, uh, in that, yeah. in that we have more options and opportunities there and we get to run it. Um, so long-term, right. That could be two years yeah. from now. So don't panic and like, be like, I gotta get off Facebook, but you know, get used to, the idea of using a discord server because you're going to see that more and more um in these communities as facebook groups becomes more and more intrusive in what you can and can't do um and you know jim you've been in facebook jail sub several times and you're not a bad oh, yeah. you're not a bad guy and you don't I, have you, you know, don't have insane personal beliefs um, you know what's funny i i never went to jail because i had some insane belief or no, i was it was because you said something that was like I, I said something fictional. It was in jest, and somebody was like, "Right, that's that's a personal attack, and it's you know." Yeah, I, um, like uh, I'll give you a prime example. I'm going to give you a real example. Uh, someone had posted a picture of a toilet 
um, paper, rolled the back way instead of the front way. And um, uh, I said something like, um, somebody should beat that person who rolled the toilet. I said, because they said, do this. And then I said, somebody should beat. First of all, no one knows who rolled that toilet paper backwards. Second of all, it, it was it was say something that would be inappropriate. The most wrong answer wins. And so I was being the most wrong. And so it was like, take it in context. I I, um, I heard it from a coworker this week. They're Catholic and they're in a Catholic yeah. Facebook group. It's a, it's a Facebook group for Catholics. And they were having a conversation about about something dogmatic, you know, and yep. uh, normal conversation for a group like that. And they got Facebook jail because apparently the group was not a pr- marked as private, so everybody could see the posts. And somebody didn't like something in the catechism that they said. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a I group mean... for this. Like, yeah. And then the last time I got banned was, oh, Elvis Presley. It was a picture of Elvis Presley when he was in the army. I'm mm-hmm. just going to get I'm going to tell you straight up what I said. So Elvis Presley is in the army and there's this guy standing there, He's with a bunch of people. They're all yeah. smiling because they're going to get a picture taken with Elvis. Of right. Course, Which is right. awesome. It is so awesome. Right. And so this one guy, he's really goofy looking. He's like you know, in the background. He's making a face like and, and I, I, probably on purpose because he's like, oh, look at me. Yeah, I'm with Elvis. He's in the army. They don't they don't take just anybody. <laughs> right. And so it, it's funny because, and then I said, um, it, it said, what is Elvis thinking in this picture? Best wrong answer wins. And I said, um, something about the goofy, the goofy looking guy with the mule faced uh, smile. We'll get you, Steven. <laughs> yeah. And, and I wrote, I wrote that and they, they gave me a 30 day ban because I wrote that, that Elvis was thinking, how the hell do I know what Elvis was thinking? I wasn't alive when Elvis went to Korea and I, and I'm like, you know, Oh God. And and they said it was because I called the guy mule faced and it's like, that guy's probably not alive anymore. I mean, and if he is, he's old enough to be my grandfather and he probably made that face on purpose because he was being silly. You know, it would use, we used to do this, you know, and we used to moon people. And guess what? Social media wasn't around. And we did silly things on pictures because it was funny. And we knew we were we were photobombing in the old days. So all of a sudden <clears throat> I got. I, I was like, you know what? Whatever um, you can. You can catch uh, Stephen. You can catch my music on my personal. You can go to Jimmy Woodard. Uh, um, literally, that's me, Jim Woodard in in uh, Facebook. I mean, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, on Facebook, on YouTube. I don't, I don't hide behind a, a weird username and anything. Uh, so, um, I do on Twitch. I, I, yeah, I do Twitch live streaming too for music. So that's another avenue um, that I did and so in you the can, chat. Yeah, I don't. I do mostly cover stuff. So it's always um, yeah, no problem. Um, I would, I do really, I would really appreciate that, um, Stephen. Uh, I'm, I'm I yeah go ahead yeah I, I don't I'm not like David I don't I haven't written a lot of original stuff but I will say this watch for more original stuff coming 
Bitchin Company is going to start doing original stuff. So we're actually working through um, stuff. I we're am all writing. so excited to hear some of that. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah let's do it. I want to. I want to yeah. hear the record. Yeah, it'll be mostly um, uh, all all over the place. Like like '90s. Uh, I don't want to say grunge because it's not really. I guess it's post grunge. I don't know. Um, and uh, Americana. Um, so, you know, uh, what do they call it? Outlying rocking country, mm-hmm. but not not like bro country yeah. at all <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So more like the the fringe rock, uh, country rock. It, yeah. The southern rock, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. Uh, but post southern rock, is there such it's a thing? Modern southern rock. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for, for our listeners, I do have, I do have an EP that's available on Apple Music and Spotify. It's called Ramblings yep. of a Madman. It's listed under David M. Hill. Um, and you can go check that out if you're interested. I have a, uh, live stream that I do over on Twitch. Uh, the, yep. the name on that, I will start putting in the, probably the comments section for the videos that we're doing. I think we're going to start doing... Uh, live stream episodes from here on out so if you'd like to come in and hang out while we're doing them we'll post we'll try to do a good job of posting a heads up we usually record at like eight uh eight central nine nine central um on sundays but we may actually be adjusting that time because i know that both of us have to get up early on mondays and it kind of sucks because we end up he's up till midnight or one o'clock in the morning and i'm up till 11 30 yeah um so We'll uh we'll probably be adjusting that if we're gonna continue to do live streams, but um yeah, I look for that in the future for sure because it's this is gonna yep. be this has actually been a good experience and and didn't really actually take any extra effort. Um, no. So anyway, uh, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitars. Afternoon, not tonight. This afternoon. Yeah, this evening. This yes. afternoon. Evening. Whatever it is. <laughs>